Thank you, BK. I may have my daughter contribute to this today, KD. Yeah, please do. Why not? She, right? She's she's learned in our house that uh, that we root for the Cowboys. We don't root for the Eagles, and I'm not a big fan of of Washington either. So I'm, yeah. I'm I think I'm teaching her right. You are pretty much. Um, we'll get into all that, but uh, did you hear the Brent Berry talk? Do you remember Brent Berry, Oregon State, right? Brent Berry, ooh. John, yeah, Barry, think, John Barry was at Georgia Tech. Brent Berry was at Oregon State. I think you're right, yeah. And John uh, couldn't jump. Brent could, though. Brent won a dunk contest in 96. Yep. All-Star Weekend in San Antonio. Um, You remember when Brent Berry, when the Bulls signed Brent Berry, the, uh, the, the first post-Jordan year, the lockout year in 99, when they brought in Brent Berry? Yep. When they won like eleven games or something in that, then the uh, lockout year. Yeah. Um. Sorry, I've got a work deal there. Uh. Yeah. No, you're good. You know, uh, interesting enough, I met a guy off that Bulls team. I didn't know he was a scout. Dickie Simpkins was scouting. I forgot who he's scouting for now. Providence wore number eight and was like the probably the twelfth or thirteenth guy on that roster. Yeah, I. uh no word on what Randy Brown was doing during this, but yeah, Dickie Simpkins. I I don't is he scouting for the Bulls? Maybe I don't remember, but yeah, he was scouting uh, somebody last. He was scouting for somebody last year during one of the Texas games. Also saw Tim Hardaway, who's a scout for the Knicks now. Tim Hardaway hanging hanging around at the Moody Center. You tip two step, man. Indeed, man. Yeah, run, no, run TMC. Tim Hardaway was one of my favorite players of all time growing up he he was with yeah with golden state they were they were loaded and mitch richmond probably didn't get enough love but chris mullen which we saw i did as a kid in that 85 final four um with three big east teams uh louis carnesecca that was those are the good old days i'm gonna try and get back into basketball because i think basketball has the best athleticism they've ever had it's just kind of rule changes and stuff that me as a non-political person you know, kind of in the middle. I just want to watch basketball. You know, I just want to watch ball, and yeah. that's it. Uh, I don't want to hear either side talk about it. No, to save that. There's other cable channels for that. Yeah, yep. uh, just leave me with my basketball. Uh, I was talking to my guy Eric Henry about this the other day. We were on our we were on our way back from Waco. We we're talking a little college basketball. And I'm like, you know, to me, there's something like good for the soul when the big East is playing good basketball. Cause like you, you grew up, your formative years are right in the heart of like probably the golden era of big East basketball. Right. Yeah. Like 80, 84, I, 85, I also, 86. I would also say college basketball. I think college basketball was late sixties, early seventies to about 1995. And then really to about 98, 2000. So turn of the century. Right. So my dad got a lot of it. I got a lot of it. I mean, this will blow your mind, but there were years where I would have told you college basketball of the six I watch was the best sport by far. I've heard you say that. Because you'd have four nights a week. Think of college football at its best, yet it's a Tuesday night and Christian Leitner is in Chapel Hill against Eric Montross and blood's coming down. I remember 15 NBA players in this whole group that are playing it was it was great because you had it if you had one night where there wasn't a great college basketball game or two you thought man this is a letdown 
So the Fab Five is what really got me into college basketball. Actually, if you want to get technical about it, it was really that those UNLV teams, yeah, ninety and ninety-one UNLV teams. Oh, I, I, I yeah. loved both, and Bob Dunn and I, you know, Bob Dunn was old school Southside Chicago basketball, and I loved. I you know it was like Florida State. I got on the Florida State. We talked yeah. about that. It's because you know the, the 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 swag really does leave an impression on young kids, even young white kids from well let's be honest though kd like it's like i tell people all the time when i was growing up texas sucked so i had to i had to find i had to find another team yep somewhere and michigan was killing two birds with one stone at the time yeah so so michigan was your florida state for me yeah wow okay i couldn't do that because of the household i lived in yeah what how how far out the window would your dad have thrown you? Would Bob Dunn have thrown you? Pretty far recording for Michigan. And, hey. at, and at that time, he probably would have gotten a misdemeanor and I would have stayed in the house. I want to actually I wanted to start there because we'll talk a lot of college football. And in the spirit of Bob Dunn, let's I want to start with Notre Dame and that Notre Dame Ohio State game yep. over the weekend. I didn't get to watch it because I was in Waco with Texas. Uh did did you get to watch any of it? Yeah, I did. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I barely watched the first half because none of us did because there were seven total possessions. Uh, <laughs> but that's a different story for a different time. But um, there's not much separation. I, I, you know, Notre Dame was, BK said on post game, they'd win seven or eight out of 10 at night in South Bend at this time. So who knows what the court is in November in, in Columbus. And, but, they, they should have won, and obviously the 10 guys on the field the last two plays is disconcerting. Um, but I, I think it says two things. You know, Notre Dame was that team that would get to the semifinal, and very quickly, it's like a seventh-grade team, or you've got kids, yeah. right? Hey, you got as far as you can, and there was no way in hell you were ever going to win this game. You got blown out by a better team that had 11 better guys at almost every position. It, 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 it's boiled with Notre Dame, and it hasn't even really been quarterback play, Kevin, because, you know, every now and then, I mean, they'll have a Brady Quinn or somebody that you're like, okay, they're they're a really good college quarterback. With Notre Dame, it's always been about do they have the perimeter skill talent to play yeah. in Ohio, Ohio State or, or a Clemson or – Think about Brady Quinn. Remember that Sugar Bowl against LSU and Jamarcus Russell? That that game got Jamarcus Russell to number one. Yeah. You know? That, that the purple drink. That's that's always been my question with Notre Dame. So did that game it, – it's two deals for me with that game because, like I said, I haven't watched it yet. Did that game do anything to sway you on Notre Dame's perimeter skill talent in terms of where they're at and where they're going? Or did that game, because you you turned me on to this a few years ago. This was like later in Urban's tenure. Ohio State had so much focus on getting fast that they lost some of their edge physically. Like, yeah. you know, it, Alabama, Georgia, there's been some programs, that, and Ohio State did it for a while. Right. You can you can play with a physical edge and, and be fast, but it seems like the faster they got, the more they lost that edge. Did you see any of that Ohio State edge come back, or is it still maybe too early to tell? Great question. And yeah, I mean, Harbaugh exposed that when you've got Donovan Edwards, you know, parking 80, 80 yard counters um, right. in, in the third and fourth quarter uh, in the last two years, and specifically with Edwards last year. So yeah, I mean, you can get too 
they've been so dynamic on the outside and want to play in space so much that, yeah, you kind of wonder. And they've also had a ton of first-round defensive line draft picks and even offensive line. Um, I would say with Notre Dame, one of your colleagues reminds me a lot of you is Brian Driscoll. And I think mm-hmm. Driscoll's great covering Notre Dame. And, you know, Driscoll with Ian Book, if you go look at Chase Claypool and some of the receivers that got drafted pretty high who are maybe not Claypool this year, but have yeah. played pretty well in the NFL, I think it was a misnomer. And I was part of it on the radio because we're watching on TV and you can't see, you're not there, you can't see downfield if a guy's maybe open and Ian Book didn't let it go. Do they still lose to Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State in semifinals? You know, yeah. Yeah. They lose by 21 instead of 42. Um, but I think they had talent on the outside, better talent than we thought, not Alabama or right. State talent uh, or even Clemson when they were really rolling. But Hartman's a guy to let it go. I do think this year there is some deficiency on the outside uh, for Notre Dame. And they're just young. Jaden Greathouse is getting a lot of time. I think we'll be really good there. But, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely felt that. In terms of Ohio State and in physicality, I feel like they've gotten better, gotten back to it. And and we'll see how good Notre Dame is. But, no, I mean, neither one of these offices should walk out of there and feel real good. It was 3 yeah. nothing at halftime. I mentioned seven total possessions. So that's kind of a clock deal, but also how they're playing. And they both had opportunities. You know, Marcus Freeman, they missed a field goal, and he went for it twice. Those nine points or even six points would have been huge in this I do think with the game flying by so quickly in games like this that you've got to kind of recalibrate how you think about going for it. And I got very aggressive and liberal on, hey, it's 50-49. That's going to be the final score. Go for it. It's 4-2. You're on their 35. Yeah, this kid can kick it 52. Go for it. But with this game, they probably should have kicked it. It, It's hindsight because – Ohio State's been so explosive and Notre Dame's been so susceptible to explosive teams in big games like that, that I I understand where he was coming from. But Mm -hmm. I do think Notre Dame was probably a little bit more of the better team. What this tells me more, though, and Ohio State won fair and square. um, But what it tells me more about is that this year is wide open. Wide open. Yeah, and that takes us to Texas. And – what you were saying there, Katie, I think that that part of that and me thinking it out while you're talking about it, going for it, not to go for it, when, when you pick your spots, man, early down play calling this year, especially watching some of these Texas games, early down play calling is maybe the most pivotal thing on offense now. Like typically, I'll give you some numbers. Uh Parker Fleming is really good. CFB graphs, they do a really good job of giving you some analytics. Texas right now on offense, they're 11th in the country in terms of success rate on first and second down, the percentage of their first downs that come on first and second down. So almost 40% of their first downs come on those early downs. Sark has been a really good early down play caller. That's the trend that needs to continue. Uh, you know, you don't have to worry about being a good money down team all the time if, if you're able to to move the sticks and get in the end zone without having to get the third down a whole lot. Yeah. So I think, I think early down play calling for a lot of these coaches, I wonder if the mindset for these coordinators changes in terms of man, don't even try to avoid getting the third down. If you can. Great point. And I think both these teams, 
Ohio State and Notre Dame got to fourth down too often. Yeah. And both had chances to really give in a game like this, 17-14, get some separation. And they couldn't. Sam Hartman had a first down and they reviewed it. And I don't know, you know, it's really close. And they reviewed it and overturned it. One thing I do love now is that on second and seven, do you remember how many times the sticks used to come out? Yeah. Used to come out 10 times a game. All right. You see them three times a week now. <laughs> if you watch as much as we do. Yeah. They never come out. But you'll have second and seven. And yeah, that was close. Bring them on in. It's like a bouncer at a club <laughs> who's just letting everyone in. Right? Where they're looking at no time for that now. Yeah, you know, it kind of looks like you. You look third trimester, and there's no way you're 21, <laughs> but um, yeah, that'll work. Come on in. And they're just now ah, move the chains, whatever. I mean, it was near <laughs> there within half a yard. Yeah. And then that could be though third and one, and you get stuffed, and it's fourth and four. But on fourth down now, they'll really make sure that they take a look at it. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, both these teams could have separated. They didn't mainly because they couldn't they couldn't move the defense, and they had fourth and one, fourth and two, both did to really kind of finish it off and could. Mm-hmm. could so let's go to Texas watching that Baylor game Saturday night. I, I want to start with Baylor because I, I feel like I got to get this out there. I, you know, I used to cover that program and, you know, watching kind of the rise and fall under Bryles and then Matt Rule bringing it back. I, I think Matt Rule might be the best talent evaluator of any head coach in college football. Who is the and white kid from North Austin here who I wanted Texas to go after? James Lynch. James, James Lynch. Lynch. I think James Lynch was for an, an example for the Ethan Burke and the and I'm am I giving white on that? Yeah, I am. Because <laughs> even us white people may look and be like, I don't know about that. And it's defensive line, so it's not running back or cornerback. Yeah. But but where it's like, hey, this guy may be a three-star, but you can really develop him. No, he understands, he reads stuff uh, like Mike Sherman did offensive linemen at that level, right? 100%. Hundred percent. I had a had a conversation with Mike Sherman at uh, coaching school, the THSCA convention, one year, and I just asked him the simple question: Hey, what what do you look at an offensive lineman? Like, is it are you looking at across the board? He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I, I want my my tackles got to have you know they got the, the shoulders have to be a certain width. I want the arms a certain length. Um, he's like my ta- He's like, I want guards to have more of a squatty body. He's like, if I've got a center with a big fat ass that tells me you know, he can anchor really well, and he got really into it. And I'm like, do no wonder why your A and M line like no wonder why they had four first round picks in one recruiting yeah. class on the O line. Yeah, yeah, Abwehi, Jokel, uh, Jake Matthews, and I forgot who the fourth was. It Jermaine Afady, maybe. Afady, I think, yeah. But yeah, that's why he was so good at what he did. Um, but my, I love Dave Aranda. Anytime I've interacted with Dave Aranda, I've really liked him. He's a dude that'll just talk ball. He's real introspective. He's really smart. Very smart. Very intelligent. Um, but my question with Aranda, even two years ago, and. I've talked about this, Kevin. I know you and I talked about this, and everybody pretty much that wasn't like, oh, and, and I, I thought Baylor made a really good hire with, yeah. with, with Aranda. My question was, okay, when all these guys that Matt Rule recruited that have been developed now, that are upperclassmen, where is Baylor when all those guys get out of the program and go on to the NFL or whatever? Right. Now we're seeing player development recruiting hasn't necessarily been there where it was before. And two, 
I just got done. Matt Matt Butler and I just got done recording our Longhorn Blitz podcast, and I, I brought this up looking at Baylor. Like I was, I was surprised how small they looked and how slow they were. Like you compare the roster now to where it was two years ago when they won the Big Twelve, it's apples and pomegranates. Like it's not even close. And whereas you look at a school like Colorado, you look at a program like Texas State, how they've been able to flip their roster for the better through the portal. Right. It works the other way, Katie. I don't think people realize that you can be in the penthouse one day, and if you mismanage the portal, you can go to the outhouse real quick. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, yeah. Baylor, their offensive line, especially. Yeah. Just felt small. Yeah. And, and they hadn't developed guys. I mean, to where it looked like an SEC defensive line, which Texas did against Alabama, going up against a whack team. It was bad. I mean, Wyoming put more of a fight, put more, put up more of a fight up front. They had a better offensive line. Yeah. um, Without a doubt. So, you know, one thing about the portal too, I would say is that it's one thing to not have any money. And someone says, dude, you should have invested in this or that. I should have, but I had no money. I didn't have money to invest. But when you have money to invest and you miss out, yeah. That's when you got to look at yourself and say, I really could have done something with this. And it was sitting in a cash account or money market. And, and you know, that's on me. And that's where I would put Clemson because Clemson yes. should have been using the capital they built. There are kids right now that may be a sophomore that want to transfer that can really help you out. And guess what? Clemson's much bigger than Texas is in their mind growing up. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can play on this. Yeah. And Dabo's been so hard about not, not going to the portal. And so I agree. I mean, Colorado and Texas State have done a great job. Those are two great examples of people that really flipped it. Uh, I will say Michigan State early on. Obviously, they're dealing with stuff right now. But a couple of years ago, really flipped it. We, you know, we, yeah, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And to me, it's worth repeating. Clemson, where they are right now, reminds me of, reminds me so much of Texas when Mac was getting towards the end. Yeah, there's so. And granted, you got different dynamics, but like, look at Mac Brown recruiting post national championship and pre national championship. They weren't bringing in the same caliber of guys. They they still recruited good players. It's Texas. You're always going to get good players, but it was that class where it was like the. You had the James Henry, Robert Joseph, you had that right. class, and then you know Dre Jones got in trouble, and Mac just decided, hey, we're going to recruit a certain type of kid, and there's going to be certain type of kids that are just not going to be on our board for whatever reason. They made decisions way too early, and it's almost like at that point, Texas almost wrote the book on, here's how you don't capture recruiting momentum after winning a national championship. Here's the wrong way to do it. And Clemson's doing, like you said, most of the time it's with the portal. They're just doing a little bit differently. But, man, Texas, if you think about – we're looking at it now, like what Sark's doing now. And granted, he's got NIL, whatever. But Texas hasn't been nationally relevant in over a decade. If you you put this this staff now with a national championship under their belt, there's no telling what kind of talent you'd be bringing into this place. No, you're totally right. But, yeah, I mean, Clemson should have taken advantage of the portal, which Dabo would do. And and they have capital to actually call a kid who's leaving Georgia Tech or Washington or wherever and say, hey, we're Clemson. We want you here. 
And yeah. I would say the, the biggest comparison with Clemson and Texas, and we'll find out, you know, I, the descent won't be as steep because it's almost hard to do that from 09 to 2010. It's really hard. And beyond. Uh, but their evaluation was so good and they evaluated the right kids. Cause some of mm-hmm. them, Isaiah Simmons was a three-star coming out of Kansas. Yeah. That were they out evaluate I mean, they had white kids in the secondary who were really damn good. Yeah. Hunter Renfro, good evaluation. Lawrence, you know, uh, ETN, those are obvious ones. So you nail you nailed the four and five stars and the big stars you got, but you evaluated well. And I think they probably rested like most staffs do on we built this now. So let's just go get Brian Brzee and and this guy and that guy and they maybe were injured a lot or were dealing with stuff and still played really well, but it, it did not add to the total total group you had that was a dynasty for a little while. I don't understand why programs get away from their roots of what's always worked for recruiting talent. Like Miami did this. Because, because, Jeff, because Jeff, you build your roots to move like the Jeffersons, you know, moving on up, you know, yeah. to the east side, you know, it, where you, I mean, all of our families at some point came from some other place, most likely. If you're Native American, I got you, you know, uh, but, or if you're Mexican here, like, it, I, but most of, most of our families came, were dirt poor and had to work their way up. And each generation hopefully builds on that. And you get from having to work three jobs and, making no money and living in the dumps to a more comfortable life. Right. And I think coaches do the same thing. Right. Is that, is that fair or no? I mean, and once then, you, you, then, then you hand the business off to the idiotic daughter and the doofus son-in-law and it comes crashing down. Yeah. What's the whole, what's the old line? First generation makes all the money. Second spends it. Third one wrecks it or whatever. It is. Yeah. It's, but like, you know, Miami did that under Larry Coker, uh, you know, when you look at how they were recruiting, I mean, Larry Coker won a national championship with a bunch of guys that Butch Davis and that staff recruiting. That was they made some great evaluations. And and you know, Butch with his ties to Texas, I mean, they took kids from different parts of the country, but they still recruited, you know, that state of Miami that Schnellenberger talked about. They still got kids from there. They took track yeah. kids and everything. But then Larry Coker starts going but going all over the country. Jeff, remember yeah. with the scholarship limitations, right. they had to nail two or three star Ed Reed in Louisiana. And they mm-hmm. had to go get a moss out of Florida. Uh, so they were almost, once again, put in that position to have to do that. And then they branched out. And the one that really, it never got really off the rails. I mean, Lincoln Riley saved it. But you look at Oklahoma, like after they had their run, like probably Oklahoma, let's say 2008, nine, yep. all the way up until Riley got there. They weren't recruiting the same type of kids, Katie. I mean, who'd they have success with? They had success recruiting JUCO kids, kids from the Metroplex. Derek Strait. Yeah, they got their kids I from the other Derek Strait here right. in high school. And when they gave him a ride, I thought, and he was a good high school player, I thought, we are in such good shape. Yeah. Yes, you know, the Toss- fact they're giving this kid a ride to play cornerback. Yeah, taught, but they were, uh, you know, recruit up and down the 35 corridor. OU's never really messed with Houston a whole lot, but they did their, the 35 corridor, East Texas, in state, and and some and they spring live with some JUCO kids. Maybe they go out to California, but then they got to a point where they, it was all recruiting like Southern California and Florida, and we're gonna go to to the Northeast, and it's like what 
why are you getting away from what's working? That's that's what I I don't understand about these schools that get to a certain point that you feel like you just got it. It's almost it's almost like the shock of smart deal, not that uh not that hyper hyper driven to change, but it's almost like okay, now I'm in a certain position. Now I can go change. No, stick with what got you there. It's the beauty of Warren Buffett. And I mean the Warren Buffett, the investor in Omaha. Um yeah. that you know he still lives in the same house. They had to add a guard tower because he's worth like $40 billion. So he can get kidnapped at any point, but still lives in the same house that they did in the seventies in Omaha. Mm-hmm. You know, he was right. like, look, this is working for me. This is who I am and my bank account or my capital in terms of recruiting or popularity may go up, but stay true to you. And not many coaching staffs do that. And I also understand not many people do that. I mean, most There's people, nothing, Hey, there's Most a lot to make a ton of money when it goes spend some of it. And that's can, yeah. human nature. You can do a lot worse than being Bill Snyder. Right. <laughs> you know? No, like, I mean, does Bill Snyder need to stop at Taco Bell with the money he's making, especially what everything costs in Manhattan, Kansas? He could have gone to the top steakhouse every night, but he's stopping by Taco Bell. You know why? Because that's who Bill Snyder is. That I mean, come on, let's be honest, man. Bean burritos at Taco Bell still slap. Oh, no, I've so I've gotten back on KFC. <laughs> I got off of all like fast food like that. And I but I really want to get back on Taco Bell. Trey is making fun of me, but I don't care. BK, of course, is on the flip side and is, is the pusher in this whole situation. But <laughs> I'm back on KFC and I'm not puking or have diarrhea right away. So Good. I'm going to I'm going to try. And yeah, it took me a couple trips to do it, but I pushed through. And I may do that with Taco Bell because Taco Bell was that may be some of the best food as a kid I ever ate, ate in my life. Taco Bell was the best. Yeah. Uh, did you ever do the KFC buffet? Did you ever have one of those? Yeah. Oh, near yeah. you? Yep. And it's wasn't, that the, what, wasn't that the best? Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, the KFC over here is great. KFC still really good. And I cook a lot. And but making fried chicken is a pain in the ass and maybe it is to get oil in my fryer. And then I've got to dump that out and can't dump it down the seat sink. So usually I, when I fry, I will set up three to four days of just frying stuff. That's a skill. Cheese sticks, whatever, <laughs> you know, that's a skill, man. That's a skill. Cause like my wife is a really good cook, but fried chicken it's almost like 50 50 like it, you, like on the outside you're like hey this looks great and then you open the chicken up well it's got blood in it so we didn't cook all the way like it's it's a crap shoot man it's one of the great things about being I like my mix I've got my south side Irish Chicago mix on my dad's side and my mom's side is all Austin and all Texas for four or five generations so my grandmother Lucille Mimi made a great fried chicken. My mom taught me how to make it when make it all the time. And so I've got, I've got good, good Southern fried chicken. I tell my wife, she needs to, next time her grandmother makes chicken fried steak, I'm like, you need to stand over her shoulder and figure that out. Cause yeah, no, I, I, don't, I, I don't want that to go to the grave. You know what I mean? I started doing that with family members uh, and just watching them, whether it's someone grilling or heck a grandma in Chicago bacon I don't bake a lot, but just kind yeah. of see what they were doing. But certainly my, my my mom here, I would just stand behind her and start a- asking her questions. How'd you, how'd you make that lasagna? Here's how I made it. And the cool thing, too, is that the things as a kid that you didn't like, I don't like the 
tomatoes are too soggy and too big. All right. Yeah. And blend them up and use marinara sauce. So you kind of make it to, to your own taste. Mm. Hey, real quick, because I know I'm looking at the chat and my guy Mac is in here. Uh, where's the best place in Austin, Katie, to get uh, some good deep dish pizza? Because, like, I love Conan's. You know, go to Conan's, yeah. get, get the Savage with no jalapenos. That's how I roll. But is it, where, where, where can I get really good deep dish in Austin? I mean, you're. You're talking deep dish. Obviously, you're talking Chicago. There used to be a place right off Lake Austin Boulevard. It's gone now. And that was, what was it called? Um, what was the, the deep dish place in Austin forever outside of Conan's? I would say the best deep dish for me is because really real Chicagoans eat thin crust. They're mm -hmm. squares. Yeah. So I used to eat a bunch of deep dish at when I'd go up there because that was what Chicago was known for. And it was a great meal. But I would do the deep dish Detroit style at Via 313. Okay, there you go. And that is I mean, the three pizza places I go to. And I know there are more, which is crazy because we didn't have any here growing up. We thought Domino's was – and Dom, some Domino's can be good. That's location to location. But we thought our Domino's was East Coast pizza that I would get on the street in New York. It, we, we didn't know. But right. we've gotten a lot better. I would say Bufalina for the margarita – Home slice for the Chicago or for New York style thin mm -hmm. crust and via for Detroit style if you want to go thicker. And their bar style is pretty good too. You said Bufalina does the margarita really well. Bufalina does the best margarita and they've got usually good pastas on there. Trey and his family go. I ran into them last, two Sundays ago getting to go and they're in there almost every week. But Bufalina, Bufalina is the real deal. Bufalina is one of those where it's funny when I do go back to New York. There's not many, there are certain things we don't have here, but not many yeah. anymore. I used to go get sushi and pizza right away. I've got pizza here and I've got sushi here. Awesome. Grown up, had it, baby. <laughs> I got sushi at Sam's Club. I don't need, I don't need New York sushi. Right. <laughs> uh, I will do that. I mean, I, 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 I will test the limits on sushi. Uh, so I got a, I got a couple minutes before I got to bump out and then I'll be okay. right back. But, uh, when I think about this Texas team, Kevin, I again we recorded our Longhorn Blitz podcast today, and I was just thinking about this. Like, when is that Aaron? Because I always think y'all do y'all do as good a job as anyone. When that, it'll drop tomorrow morning. Okay. So when you when you wake up first thing in the morning, uh, it should be on wherever you get your podcasts. Please tell what? Matt that he needs to study a little more because I don't think he's, <laughs> yeah I know I don't think he's really tight with his prep. He he told me today. He's like, "Oh man, for daily fantasy, I did I did all my Kansas research like two weeks ago." I'm like, "You're sick, Matt." You're that guy's a freak. And, I and love he, Matt, but mean that in a great way. I'm sure his if he has a woman doesn't think that, but for us, it's great. Yeah, Matt. You know, Matt's not worried about starting a family. He's got money to make doing daily fantasy. Um, <laughs> but when I think about this Texas defense, Katie, it's been a long time since I remember can remember a Texas defense playing like championship caliber defense right out of the gate the way this group has yeah and we're a third of the way through this thing now and granted they're going to face a different animal offensively they haven't seen one like they're going to see from kansas and andy Cotal nicky is one of the best play callers in college football the play designers just because they'll it's a triple option it's an offense based on triple option principles but man you name a but there's a, a lot of shovels and track <laughs> concepts and Dude, everything a formation, a personnel grouping, you name it, they'll throw it at you. It yeah. is fun to watch them when they really got it rolling and Daniels is healthy. But, man, this defense, Kevin, it's just – you talked about it a minute ago. Like, up front, 
just the development that we've seen up front. I mean, that's an SEC style defensive line. It's exactly what you would call it. And you know, the fact that, yeah, are there some issues when the safeties get cut, caught in one-on-one coverage? Yeah, but this Texas defense is dealing with first-world problems, whatever problems they have, because they're so freaking good up front that that by itself is going to give them a chance in every game the rest of the way. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's what's blown me away the most that, heck, I remember doing the show with Rod, and it was either me and Rod or me, Rod, and BK, and we'd have you on. We always loved to pick your brain, and all of us thought, and all of us are pretty objective, certainly you reporting on it, that with Tavondre Sweat and we thought where Alfred Collins would be and Keandre Coburn, that the defensive line would be a strength. Mm -hmm. We weren't being homers. We weren't trying to mix Kool-Aid together. And we ended up being right because Coburn ended up being a great player. Yeah. And Sweat showing what he is. And even Collins is, you may be a year or two off. And that's a part of development with 18 to 22-year-olds. Moro Jomo's in the NFL. Right. You can know what the ceiling is talent-wise, but but you, you you don't know the necessary timing or when it's really going to pop. And so it finally popped. And Baron Sorrell, Vernon Broughton, they got tap coming off. The amount of guys they rotated almost felt Mickey Andrews-esque. Yeah. In the early 90s. And he was the first DC that I really remember rotating eight or nine guys. Because no one did that back in the day. And really getting guys in there. And sure enough, third and fourth quarter, especially when it's 98 degrees outside, it that that pays off. And and it, it has so far for Texas. But I would say of everything, Quinn's been a very I don't want to say surprise, but that's been that's been pleasant to watch and see him just grow up as a young man mm-hmm. off the yeah. field, and it, it it shows on the field. The offense has been great, but the defensive line is the one is the one thing that I just wasn't going to buy until I saw it, and I've seen it so far. So I mean, Jalen Ford still playing really good football. To your point, the depth though, like Texas, I always use the term talented depth. Uh, and I've I, I heard other I've heard other coaches call it different things, but to me, that's like I would call talented depth. Like go back and look at like the national championship team, and they're too deep on the defensive line. Everybody played in the NFL in the two deep. Yeah, that to me is when you're talking about talented depth. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, on the defensive line, the interior and edge, you, you've got talented depth. There's no question. Like, like Justice Finkley right now would be starting at a lot of places. Yeah. at a lot of Power Five places, and he's just now able to get on the field. Right. In a rotational role. And he makes the sack. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. he's, he's shown, like you said, people were looking at like uh, the other night. They're like, man, some people on the thread on our message were like, who's that 17? Like, uh, Jamon Tapp, some of y'all forgot he was on the team. Yeah. Like, that's, that's how deep this thing is. Yeah. I think it also shows you how good. By the way, Ethan Burke is going to intercept a screen pass at some point. Man, he got close the other night, didn't he? Whew. He almost picked off one a game at Westlake. Yeah. And usually was batted down, but with his reach, and he reads that so well. I don't want to put everything on lacrosse. I think the bend, certainly there's a lot of lacrosse stuff there, hand fighting lacrosse stuff there. But some stuff, because he's pretty early on in football, relatively speaking, you just read stuff. And, and he does. And I saw it for two or three straight years at Westlake, really two. But when he'd come in, him and Bosick were coming in on that first state championship team as backups. Yeah. You know, or Burke, Burke may have been starting, maybe Bosick, but they were 
both those guys read stuff. And so the fact that Burke's starting and you see Tap the way he looks and you see, like we mentioned, there are other guys we actually haven't mentioned, which shows you how deep it is. The, the depth on the offensive line, too, the fact that Cole Hudson can be out and I think DJ Campbell's played really well and it's looked a lot better against even with pass pro and picking stuff up than he did in the first week. And he's been mauling guys on the mm-hmm. run with a nasty attitude. And yeah, he's one of the sweetest kids, kids, young man, young men you, you're ever going to meet. But I love the fact that they've been able to turn that. I think the culture outside the locker room is great. And on the field, they're, they're turning into beasts. The other thing too with the O line, I, I've said this for years. It was a, 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 a broken cycle they couldn't fix. Of they, they were forced to play young offensive linemen before they were ready. Right. Like you think about guys like Josh Cochran. I'll throw in like a David Snow. Trey yeah. Hopkins was one of those guys. Those guys had no business playing as true freshmen. No, no. Know? But they had to. Jeff, Jeff, for that ten-year run, they were. Year in and year out, I don't know what the average would be. You and I should go look at it and give our own opinion because it's still opinion based. But they were three or four deep. Yeah, maybe two deep one year and four deep the other. So it may average out to they were three deep. That means that you have two guys who are starting who shouldn't be starting in your ideal program or mm-hmm. even the program that you want to get to. Yeah. And now I really feel like they're deeper on the defensive line. At least they have been, but on the offensive line. They've got Cam Williams could come in and play right now. Uh, NATO should be playing, but they're who's he taking reps from? Right, they're gonna take reps from Hayden Connors, gonna take DJ Campbell off the field, probably not. And and the fact that the fact that you're able now to redshirt and let a Trevor Gooseby and a Jaden Chapman and a Connor Stroh, the fact that these guys, I mean, if we were in the old days with the the current roster, they'd be playing. well, no, I mean, they would be – if you took this roster and put it before, you know, you could you had the four-game redshirt rule, these guys wouldn't be traveling. They'd be staying yeah. back in Austin on Fridays and getting that extra lift in because they were squad guys. Yeah, yeah. No, you know? you're right. Um, but it's been so long, Katie, since you've been able to do that. Like, that's what, that's what was kind of blew my mind about Sam Cosme is people were shocked. I'm like, yeah, it's amazing what happens when a guy's not forced on the field as a true freshman. And he gets to stay back on campus and he gets that extra lift in and he's on a meal plan and he just kind of has gets to sit back and, and watch it for a year and figure some things out. I do think speaking of Cosme and, but it's been more, uh, more prevalent and they're actually winning now, but he was a good example. You could even throw Connor Williams in there, but I do like how the narrative and understandably so not one that one that I would have agreed to and admitted to on the radio in person, a bunch that Texas does not develop players. That's kind of going away, man. A, a lot of the guys we're talking about were three stars mm-hmm. right now on this team. Yeah. And I, I, I noticed Sark in his availability mentioned that kind of pointedly, probably getting this out there. You know, I think we develop players, we have a coaching staff and staff that develops players better than anyone in the country. I mean, there's no way you could have said that throughout the last 10 years without getting laughed out of the room saying, all right, man, I, I like the optimism, but, but the, you can look at guys right now considering where they're at. And these are not all five stars. Jeff. No, but before I bump out, I'll say this. Uh, it's, it's It's the one thing that this program has lacked more than anything else 
and you've still got a long way to go in terms of player development to make up for what hasn't been there, but you're a hell of a lot better off there right now than you've been in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, now I'm watching them nationally after watching Ohio State, Notre Dame, Alabama. They, this offensive line can compete with anyone. I mean, yeah. they're at a spot where, where, where they can do some special things. It's college football, and they still have a lot of things to improve on, and the O-line's not perfect. But it makes you feel great about Kyle Flood, getting back to your point about Sherman. You know, he was also identifying body size and body mm-hmm. types. He's yeah. one of our friends who's like, look, her ass has to be this big for me to go and talk to her. It's like, all right, well, I know you. So like, otherwise I'm not talking to her. And so it, he's done that and, and he knows what he wants and he's developed it. Yeah. All right. BK is going to jump on in place of me. I will be back okay. here shortly. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm fantastic. Did you guys comment on this already? No, we have not. Oh, that's awesome. How about that? Now, I'm sorry. To oh, Evil that's Mac. I love Mac. Thank you so much. Yeah, sorry about that, Mac. I have to ruin the fun because I know he wasn't talking about you and me. He was talking about you and Jeff. But Yeah, well, he probably Jeff, means back. you. He probably yeah. means you. Mac, um, Mac used to come out. Mac's, been, Mac's just a good guy, man. He's one of those real people that's fun to talk to, knows sports, and will give his opinion. A lot like you outside of the cool people part. <laughs> no really none of what you just said describes me at all so yeah, you're not, yeah hey we did talk about taco bell did you hear that i did i did hold on now now you talked last week about the encapsulate pills that you've been taking and you said that that's helped your digestive system a little bit so maybe the combination of the encapsulate with the taco bell could lead you back on my side baby that's what i'm thinking um trade's not going to be happy about it but who cares right yeah no that's that's a good thing that's more evidence that you're making the right decision if you're making a trade (laughs) it probably is but yeah i'm I'm hitting kfc up i'm all good no acid reflux no explosive diarrhea like the chick on the plane Mm. and um although i don't think i've I've had explosive diarrhea no one's had that before right i have not had that before but i also don't eat taco bell right before getting on an international flight like i i know my limits right like i make sure if i am eating taco bell or most fast food places i get to go home after i consume the meal i don't i like friends houses or sporting events or bars or anything let alone an international flight i usually try to avoid those like the plague if i'm getting fast food I make sure that I'm near my uh, throne as soon as I possibly can. Well, they should probably check your ticket now for the airport Taco Bells to see if you're going or coming. So mm. if you just got off, like, hey, I look at look at it. You know, it's 440. This is a 130 flight from uh, Atlanta. So I'm getting in the cab. You don't care about the cab. No. But if you're going, they, they have to kind of limit your order. Have you ever landed on a flight, and then gotten a drink or gotten a meal at the airport before leaving? No, I mean, I would if whatever ride wasn't there, but I'm usually, you know me, I'm the son of Bob Dunn. I'm hurrying to get nowhere. Yeah. It, it should be on my tombstone. Guy was rushing to get nowhere in life. Uh, I feel like you've gone somewhere in life. Uh, maybe, dot, dot, dot. He also had one ball. You know? Yeah, you, well, yeah, yeah. that's got to be a part of things. By the way, Bob Dunn, 
so I, I put it out on Twitter last night. I appreciate everyone reacting. I didn't know if I should call him mm. because I, I wanted to give this more time. I felt like a Thursday call would have been better. But we were going to talk on Monday, so I thought it's my old man. I love him. Love talking with him. He's one of my best friends. Let me call him. And he he was cool with everything. He was put on a brave face. I mean, I, I definitely felt it a lot more than him. But he said, hey, I listened to the postgame show. It's like, great job, except for one thing. I never said Notre Dame was going to get blown out. So I haven't gone back to look at it. I've been too busy. But if if I said I, – what I thought I said was that he said there was some PTSD. He doesn't think it will happen, but that's always in the back of his mind, which is what we said about Baylor, that we thought they'd win handily, but we also have the last 10 years with Baylor and these games in the back of our mind. So – Apologies to Bob Dunn because I got my ass chewed out like I was oh. twelve last night. Well, he was just coping, you know. He's upset about the loss, so very Irish cope. I don't care about the real thing, but I'm going to hammer you on this. Oh, he told you he didn't care about the game. He said he cared. He goes, yeah, it just doesn't affect me. Bob's done that now. Durwood did that. Durwood did it back in the day, and 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 Bob's much better. I mean, to where he so that yeah, I care about it, but. And he's, I think he's also right. It doesn't hurt him as much as it used to. That may be Notre Dame and what they've done the last 20 years. But even the White Sox won't hurt him as much as they used to. But Durwood was getting up in age. And I came over, placed in uh, Bastrop. And Durwood's my grandfather, my mom's dad. And Mimi was the best, you know, with Nanny. Great grandmas and just great people. And had to oh, deal yeah. with. Two my she favorites. Had with, she had to deal with Durwood. Yep. And so Durwood, I go, you know, granddad, what, what do you think about the game this week? Very old Austin guys. So just take that for what it is. Oh, hell, I don't give a fuck about that stuff. You know, <laughs> bunch of young kids running around. And, and so I go to the fridge and on the fridge, the whole thing was covered with cutouts that have been taped up there from the Austin American Statesman Fab 55 list and recruiting news. Ah, but he doesn't care. Mm. So I called him out on it. He goes, well, he goes, I still, I'm still going to watch. I got to know who these kids are. You know? <laughs> I don't know what it is about guys where we get to a point in life where we want to act like we don't care about something, but we really do. <laughs> yep, that's that's been me with Texas football. That's been me with the Dallas Cowboys. It's just... Yeah, but we don't lie about it. We we own it like I'm miserable right now. Oh, I've, I've lied about it plenty of times. <laughs> I've been like, oh, I don't care. This stuff doesn't affect me anymore. But really, I just am in the worst mood of all time, and I wish people would stop talking to me after a Texas loss because it it still kills me inside, and that will never change. Yeah, what, never if, I change. Would, what if I were to come on post game five minutes after Notre Dame has ten men on the field? Oh, should have won that game, which would have been program changing for them. And I knew that. I love Marcus, and I think he's the right guy. I want this to work. Mac had that ninety eight. You get a bounce here in, in Lincoln, 26-24 game, the comeback here against A&M. Uh, there are things that early on can really catapult this thing. What if I were to come on and be like, oh, you know, it didn't really – like you knew I was crushed. Yep. Look I think I told smile. you. You also enjoyed it too. Well, I don't know. I, I, I like. Well, I, you enjoyed it. You, you also enjoyed the Clemson walk-on missing the field goal, so – yeah, screw that guy. I, I don't like the Hollywood ending. I, I don't care. I root for a Goliath. I want Goliaths to win. All right. I don't. I don't need a walk-on kid hitting the kick. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, like, I, I hate Ohio State. I think I hate Ohio State more than Notre Dame. So it's not like I was like, oh, yeah, that's a cool ending. Like, I mean, walk-offs in any sport are always kind of exciting, and you don't get them in football like you do in baseball or basketball where it feels like you get, you know, buzzer beater slash walk-offs every single night somewhere well, the around the league. wouldn't have been a walk-off, remember, because yeah. Dabo messed up the clock so much. Yeah, like, yeah, Their yeah, clock yeah. management was as bad as I saw all weekend. Dude, they're back to being Clemson. Like we, you and I were talking about this oh, in the post game show. You mentioned it. You're right, dude. Yeah, like Clemsoning. That used to be a thing. Then they won their first national championship, and then obviously they won another national championship. And it's like, well, you can't really talk bad about Clemson right now because they are, you know, right there with Alabama as the premier program in college football right now. And then over the last couple of years, they've kind of lost it, and now they are like inventing ways to lose games, which is what it felt like they did in Dabo's first few years. And you could tell they were close, but they just they couldn't get over that hump. And now it's like the same thing. Like, you know, they still have one of the most talented rosters in college football. Now, Georgia and Bama and Texas and Ohio State, there are a few teams that I think have passed them up right now. But still, they're, they're top 10 in terms of roster talent, but they are going out and finding ways to lose games. Like, I know the, the final score against Duke was ugly, but God, if they don't turn the ball over in the red zone like three times, that's a completely different ball game. And like you said, like the clock management and just some of the other self-inflicted wounds for Clemson against Florida State, like if they just don't beat themselves, they're undefeated right now and they're a top five team in college football. Yeah, no, they are. And we're probably given a different story, which is also funny about college football. It's what I've talked about forever. And I know you, you've always been like, yeah, you're, you know, I'm, I'm totally with you that there's you're probably not as good or as top five as you think you are or as bottom 25 as you are. A lot of times there can be little games that you're probably in between there, but where you've got, like like you said, Clemson could be top five right now. What would the national narrative be? Not that great. Clemson's, but Clemson's still there, right? They're still yeah. one of the, you know, that they wouldn't, People would know they're close wins, but they won the games. And you're right. right. Against Duke, as funny as it is with the score and that game, they could be undefeated right now. But they're not. And I think the losses do expose the holes that the wins don't. Yeah, I'm with you. Not a huge slate of college football this weekend. Uh, Texas-Kansas, one of two ranked games that we have across the country. The other one's a Friday nighter between Utah and Oregon State. Uh, early thoughts, I'm sure, on Thursday with Trey. You guys will talk plenty of this weekend and plenty of Texas, Kansas. But uh, your thoughts with what you've seen from Kansas versus what you've seen from Texas. The line is like 17 right now. Uh, I saw some analytical projection that has Texas winning this by like 28, which kind of blew my mind. Uh, what, uh, where, where are you at on a Tuesday with this upcoming matchup? I mean, I've told all, all my gambling buddies until – teams really adjust and some have now Texas plays pretty fast, but still you can, we've seen them have two or three good possessions that end up in three total points that I would always take the under right now for, for the most part. And I wouldn't take large lines because games are flying by. So if you have seven total possessions between two teams in one half, you're not going to get much separation period. You're not going to get the separation we saw before where you really, so 17, I wouldn't touch that. The Kansas defense did not look good against BYU. Uh, and I saw a couple of deep balls where they just gave stuff up. I do think that'll be open. I think they're probably going to adjust a little bit against Texas in what their schemes are defensively. 
but I would lean on Texas winning for sure, but I wouldn't touch 17. I wouldn't touch it either way. What about you? I beg your pardon, by the way. Uh, I forgot Notre Dame was still ranked after uh, that loss. You know, I figured when you only have 10 guys on the field, that will take you out of the top 25. But I guess that's not the case. So there are three ranked games this weekend. Is that, well, Coach K's national championships? No, that's 10 guys, and it goes down to one, right? <laughs> Uh, well man. done well done that was the other thing too I, I can't i can never stop my smart ass from talking so i knew that i may say something to bob about 10 guys on the field but oh dude i i saw some texas tech people on sunday and they're like how are you doing today bk and i'm like oh i'm between a one and a three and and one of them figured out what it was it took like the other few of them a few minutes cuz you know the Texas Tech education but it was obviously a shot at Tech's 1 and 3 record and he's like fuck you dude and i'm like that was pretty good wasn't it? he's like yes it was but still fuck you dude I'm like yeah. i care about tech so much that i didn't even know they were 1 and 3 yeah well i i i am enjoying them being 1 and 3 oh no i knew they weren't good i didn't know if it was 1 and 4 or Two and two or whatever. Now uh, they've got uh, they got a win against Tarleton State, which that's a real powerhouse program. So congrats to Tech for that. But the Big Twelve is running through Laramie and Morgantown and <laughs> Eugene, Oregon, I suppose. Um, man, like Kansas did something against BYU that I I did not know that they were capable of, and it makes this weekend's matchup a little bit more interesting to me. I still feel really good about Texas's chances, and I'm in between honestly, two or three touchdowns as the margin of victory. So I don't think Vegas is too far off. But BYU ran for nine yards against Kansas this past weekend. 22 wow. carries for nine yards. Now, obviously, you've got some sack yardage in there, and we know how ridiculous that is that uh, sack yardage is counted in college rushing stats. But like, I would have told you hey, – By Kansas the way, that, that's one of the rules. Yeah. Like most of them that I think should be the same, that's one of them. Oh, you like that? I'm fine with that. It, huh. does, it, it doesn't it doesn't change the product. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't lose any sleep over the it. I still taste the same. Weird. Like, right. that's what I care about. I don't care about the frills around it. Yeah, the aesthetics of the pie aren't as good. The taste is still the same. But the menu's different. The taste yeah. is the same. Yeah. There, there are other things I would rather college football change than that stat quandary, but it is weird Yeah, to I don't me. care either way, but change it. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that, like, because I would have said, you know, Texas can score 40-plus against this Kansas defense, no problem. And we saw what Texas did in Lawrence with the run game last year. I mean, Quinn Ewers uh, barely had to throw the ball last year, right? Bijan went off for nearly 250, and they just handed it off to him every single play, and Kansas had no answers. I knew Kansas's run defense was a little better this year, but the fact that they were able to hold a Big 12 team to nine yeah. rushing yards, and BYU had just gone into Arkansas the week before and had some success running the football against the right. Hogs. Like, that's that to me is just another piece of evidence that, no, this is a different Kansas team that's coming into town. So, look, Texas should be able to run it decently effectively because Texas is better than BYU. But, like, the fact that, okay, Kansas's defense might not be as bad as I thought it was makes this a little bit more of an intriguing matchup on Saturday. I That's a great point, and, and that stood out to me. I mean, you also have 26, 27, 28-year-olds that are blocking for BYU. Yeah. Not only do they go into Fayetteville and, and were able to get some stuff done on the ground, but the fact that 
that BYU couldn't do anything against them. That that uh, I don't know if Kansas, even in '92 and '93, with their Glenn Mason run, they had a couple good defensive linemen. I don't. I mean, they weren't doing that, but that would have been the last time you have to go back, and you were what two or three uh, that you had to go back to where they had a defensive line that you really thought we're just not going to run right through you, whether you did or didn't. But the fact that Texas was able to do that against Baylor opens up so many stuff, so much other stuff and opens up open lanes that this will be, this will be, could be a really interesting matchup and could be one of Texas toughest matchups this year. Yeah. We'll bring Jeff back on and, and I'll, I'll, I'll cross talk with you yeah. guys for a few minutes, but Jeff kind of want to get your thoughts, man. Like Can you guys give me three minutes to make a call. Yep. 100%. Go for it, Katie. By the way, BK, those defensive linemen uh, that Katie was talking about, one would be Gilbert Brown, former Packer. Great. The other one's Dana Stubblefield, who's long since been canceled. So just what do you do? Uh oh. Okay, hold your thought on Texas. I'm just going to go to the Google machine real quick because <laughs> I, I want to make sure I don't misspeak here. Mm. Hopefully, somebody's in the comments saying, "Yeah, it's uh, all right." Uh, on May 16th, BK, the year in our Lord 2016. He was charged with sexually assaulting a disabled woman who at the time of the incident was 31 years old. The incident occurred April 9th, 2015. He originally contacted her through a babysitter website on July 27, 2020. Stubblefield was convicted of grape and on October 22nd was sentenced to 15 years in prison. Eating grapes? Yeah. I stole grapes from a disabled person? Yeah, he did. So he's Man. Dana Stubblefield's long since been canceled. Yeah, there are uh, some things that people get canceled for that I don't agree with, but I very much agree with the cancellation of Dana Stubblefield for that. That's 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 a bad bit there. And hey, uh, my daughter had Johnny Appleseed Day at school, so Johnny Appleseed hadn't been canceled yet. So, oh, dude, I saw some of that guy's old tweets. Uh, they better hope. <laughs> they better hope the teachers don't find those. Otherwise, oh, challenge in trouble. Johnny Appleseed not canceled. Good to know. Mm. Uh, no, so all right, you and Katie, you were talking about the Kansas defense, right? Yeah. I, I was talking about it earlier with uh, when me and Matt Butler did. Uh, by the way, shout out to my man Rod Babers. Rod and his wife had their baby last night. So, oh, prop, sweet. Pro props to Rod on being yes. a new father. Uh, so it's just Matt and I, but I was looking back at it, man, during that BYU game, BK, they rotated. I looked up front. They're true. Cause I know Craig Young is kind of like a hybrid, like floater type guys. So he really, you really don't count him with the D line, but in terms of true ends, true interior linemen, like handle the ground guys, they played nine different defensive linemen against BYU. Like they, they really feel confident about the depth they've got up front defensively. Yeah, and that's such a night and day difference from even last year's squad. I mean, obviously, yeah. you think of most of what Kansas has been over the last 10 to 15 years, and, well, you think Texas has had a bad. Just look at what's been going on in Lawrence, <laughs> Kansas. But, yeah, no, uh, they hit the portal hard. I mean, Lance Leipold, he, he was patient, and he built the right way. Obviously, the transfer portal being as big as it is has helped everybody, and it helps anybody trying to turn a program around. You look at Duke, right? Another basketball school and just kind of how quickly they've been yeah. able to figure it out. There's plenty of examples of teams that have just bolstered their roster a ton over the last few years. But yeah, I mean, they hit the portal hard and brought in some experienced dudes, brought in some talented dudes. And yeah, they've got depth there in Lawrence for the first time in a long time. So Texas clearly has the better roster. Anybody who's trying yeah. to argue that these rosters are really even that close is, is wasting their time. But I mean, 
this Kansas team would beat last year's Kansas team by a couple of touchdowns. And last year's Kansas team would have beaten any year prior's Kansas team by like three touchdowns. So they've got a lot figured out. They're incredibly well coached. Penalties are a little high this year, which is a little bit surprising, but they are good in so many key stats. I'm sure y'all talked about this on the Blitz. They're the number yeah. one third down offense in the country. Uh, they're one of the best red zone offenses in the country. So like they, they've got a lot of good stats all over the place, especially on offense, but they are they are timely with some of what they do. And that has never been a word, at least in, in like since Mark Mangino was trying to eat players and lost his job. <laughs> that has never been a word used to describe Kansas in football. So it's, it's a different animal coming to town. I don't say that to scare anybody, but like th th this team actually does have some talent and there are some players on Kansas that could play on Texas, which has not been the case at all in recent years. BK, I love success rate. Uh, CFE graphs tracks. So success rate is one of those, statistics that tells you pretty much how how your ability to stay on schedule offensively right are you getting you know x percentage of yards on first down needed for the needed for the first down and then on second down then on third down ku right now they're fifth in the country in offensive success rate so i was just kind of digging through the numbers and i was i was surprised because they're they're not piling up the chunk yardage plays like they were last year so it's, but they've eliminated a lot of the boom or bust with their offense. They're just more, it's more consistent. So they're not just, you're not seeing these games that they would have last year where you'd have, you know, you'd have like a game against Oklahoma where they're, you know, double digit explosive plays and 40 plus points. And then the next, you know, a couple weeks later against Texas, they can't even bust a grape. Now it's just, you're, you're kind of starting to get some consistency from KU, which good Lord, man, like, the last time there was anything consistent other than consistently being terrible about yeah. KU football? It's crazy. And uh, another grape reference. Are you actually talking about the, the fruit grape this time? That time I was talking about the fruit grape, yes. Dana Stubbefield getting a couple of shout-outs during today's uh, program. Not something I expected <sighs> coming no. in. Um, yeah, it's, it, it is crazy. And you're right. Like they are not just a boomer bust offense. They, they have the ability to go deep on you. Like they're explosive. Now they don't have – I don't think they have any NFL receivers. Like they might have a day three guy with Lawrence Arnold, uh, you know, Skinner and Grimm. Those guys, like they're they're good college players. Yeah, they don't have like take the top off the defense type of speed on the outside. But Daniels is an explosive player, and they're running backs, right? Mainly Devin Neal, the Lawrence kid, but also Daniel Highshaw. Like that's a really good one-two punch. Mm -hmm. So look, Texas's run defense has been great for a year and a third now. Uh, but Kansas, like that's that's what they do well. They run the football. Now, why I think this matchup is good for Texas, Kansas has beaten teams over the last couple of years with speed. And Texas has one of the – I mean, it's an SEC speed defense that Texas yeah. has right now. So Kansas, like that's how they beat you. It's just they've got so many different guys. They run a lot of wide zone, and they just get to the outside, and you're screwed because you can't keep up with them. That's not an issue with Texas. We saw they could go athlete for athlete with Alabama, which means they could sure, <laughs> sure as hell go athlete for athlete with this Kansas team. Which like, which blew me away. I was talking to Katie about this. Like we talked about it on our Blitz podcast today too. The fact that Jeff Grimes Saturday night just kept trying to see if Baylor could establish that wide zone. It's like, dude, it's not working against this defense. Yeah. They flow sideline to sideline and – the thing that's changed about this Texas D-line to BK, like they win up front. You know what I mean? Like they, they're they winning battles up front. The best way to throw a zone run game off is to get penetration and do whether it's Sweat or Murphy or 
Sorrell, whoever it is, they're able to get across a guy's face, get in the backfield and stop a zone play before you can even think about setting up a cutback or anything. So it's really tough to get a zone running game going against Texas because how good they are winning at the point of attack. That's the yeah. thing. They've always had bodies. Now they're winning those battles consistently. So that's that's going to be a challenge. I really like Andy Kotelnicki as a, not just as a play caller, but as a tell I'm talking about KD. I mean, he's one of the best play designers in college football that probably not a lot of people talk about because why would you talk about the offensive coordinator at Kansas, right? But, you know, going off the triple option principles that they got, and, man, you, you've seen them a lot. You've seen a lot more KU football than I have, BK. You name a, a formation, a personnel grouping, dude, any kind of play you can think of, they'll throw the freaking kitchen sink at you. And yep. I think Kotelnicki's really good at what he does. Uh, so Texas will see a lot of different things. But, yeah, you're right. They'll try to get that zone running game established. I just don't. I just don't think KU is going to be able to do that. And as you get into the minutiae of this game, that's going to be the thing. Okay, if they can't get their zone run game established, what do they then do to try to get some consistency on offense? Right. Right. I, like, I don't know. Because Alabama didn't have a plan B. Alabama's plan B was just snap it to Jalen Milrow, see if he can go make something happen when they couldn't get the run going. And Baylor wasn't capable of having a plan B. You know, Wyoming actually hung around in that game long enough to be able to at least continue running the football until, you know, in the span of what was it, like 70-something seconds, all of a sudden now they're three scores down and game's pretty much over. But that's that's the thing for KU. If you Can you stay in this by maybe shortening the game a little bit? Are you able to do that? But if they, Texas stops the run, I just don't know what Kansas' counter is. Because like yeah. you said, I mean, Lawrence Arnold's a nice receiver, but they don't have – you know, Desmond Briscoe's not walking through that door, right? Good, good callback. Yeah. Good callback right there. Yeah. Now, and and Desmond Briscoe would be like the number four receiver on this Texas team, I think, right now. Like that's that's <laughs> that's the difference right there between these two schools. So, uh, yeah. I mean, look, Baylor didn't have a plan A. Forget plan B. Like I, I don't know what the hell they they did last. Oh week. no, they had a plan A. It just sucked. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. <laughs> Yeah, but it, this is uh this is different for sure. KD, we're talking KU. I heard um, um so got the call, but I uh, heard Dana Stubblefield stuff on the way. Ah, up. yes, we. Yeah. I, I, do you still have a picture of his in your apartment? Do I have that right? Signed. He was a Forty Nine er man. Oh yeah, even more of a reason to not like him. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> um, but then uh, what about Kerry Meyer, Jeff? Would Kerry Meyer do anything outside of Briscoe? It was, it was Kerry Meyer, Briscoe, Fields. Jackson Fields, yeah. Uh, and then and then who's the DB y'all had you put over there, too? That may oh, been, dude, uh, Akeem Tlaib. Akeem Tlaib, yeah. And Chris yeah. Harris. Had Chris Harris on that team, too. Like yeah. that. Now, you talk, about, you talk about a staff that evaluated really well. Dude, that Mangino's staff. They worked the state of Texas. They worked the Midwest. They, they, had, some, no. they had some dudes. He evaluated like BK did at a pizza place after Yom Kippur last night. <laughs> everything. How am I going to divvy this up? You know, uh, I wouldn't do much evaluating. I was just, I was, I was signing everybody. Any, anybody I saw was getting signed that day. I was just grabbing every slice that was there. BK, that was, was, like, like, BK yeah. was like Coach Prime in the portal. Just yeah. F right. it, dude. Or Jeff, do you, remember, do you remember when people wouldn't give a million rides back in the day? They were afraid, like, if you gave a ride, that was your scholarship. It was yeah. And when Saban, I think it was Saban started doing that, and 
Bama gave away 120 rides in three months. And of course, they only got down to their top 27 or 25, whatever they had for the allotment. It's like, oh, sorry, you can walk on if you want. Yeah, every, people caught on to the bit that like the, the Alabama offer wasn't okay. That was right. they had guys like. Like Drake or Patrick, like he had an Alabama offer. Trent Richardson had an Alabama offer. Yeah. But other guys, it's like, okay, this is an offer to come to camp. We'll evaluate you and see if we like you. And if we still talk to you after you leave, then you have an offer. Yep. Yeah. It's a BK offer on Sixth Street. <laughs> yeah. This is not a this is not going to marriage, trust me. <laughs> I'm just uh here here's the credit card. Get a drink and then we're leaving. <laughs> That's the well, whole offer. No Jansport backpacks. We we can document these uh, these moves. You're a gentleman. Oh, oh, and a scholar always. So, All right, boys. You know, you know, Katie. That was one of those uh, deals Mac would tout on signing day. And I don't mean to. I'm not trying to bash Mac. Just some things in hindsight. It's like, okay, maybe you should have taken a different approach. Like, well, we extended, you know, 27 offers, and we got 24 commits. It's like. Maybe you should have broadened the scope a little bit and yeah. you'd be talking about a differently managed roster than what you're dealing with now. Yeah, and he meant it as, you know, hey, we're, we're a compliment to the staff and what they're doing in the process. But yeah. I was kind of with you. I mean, it was before everyone had moved that direction. But really, you should do that four years after the class and say, hey, we offered 20, like the Miami class you're talking about. We offered yeah. 27 guys and this is what, you know, we signed 24, and here's what 18 to the 24 did for this program for four yeah. years. Yeah. You know, uh, pound for pound, the best class Max signed was his smallest. That 05 class, which that was supposed to be the Ryan Paralu, Fred Rouse, Martellus Bennett class. Fred Rouse, wow. Dude, that was, if you if you look pound for pound, that's Colt McCoy, Jamal Charles, Jermichael Finley, Roy Miller, um, Aaron Lewis was in that class, Charlie Tanner, Chris Hall. The only one who really, the only guys who really didn't contribute, it was like Jarrell Wilkerson, uh, Michael Houston. Both those guys were transfer guys. And then Ishiatawigu got hurt. Yeah. Everybody else was either a starter. Boy, they nailed that. Contributor. Yeah. Quan was in that class the second time around. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you talk about a group they, where they nailed evaluations, dude. That pound for pound is by far the best class he ever had. Yeah, I'm. Uh, how are you guys feeling about the Cowboys right now? Mm. BK, where are you at on Dak? Yeah, like, no, I mean, I, no, seriously, because like I, I brought up Notre Dame, so I deserve this. Yeah, I, there you go. I, I can't I, talk about the Rangers right now. What the hell? I like it. I'm I, enjoying it though. I really like Dak Prescott, like as a dude, and, and the story's been great. But put me in the group, like I've. It's kind of like when you're in a flawed relationship that all your buddies are telling you about, and Been like there. you you see it, but you don't want to admit it. Yep. Because it because the, the other stuff is really good and outweighs all the the bad stuff, the red flags. Usually, because I'm just too lazy, Jeff. And once I get, it's hard to get me into a relationship. But once I'm in there, I'm a typical guy. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to change everything. We're, we're, I'll deal with a little bullshit. It's like, dude, you realize it's like. I heard this girl do that. Dude, the sex is great. Like, just, just leave me alone. Okay. I'm fine. But now it's like I've realized that Dak Prescott probably has a, a ceiling. It's probably an expiration date on this deal. And I'm just wondering if they're at the end of the road where it's like, you know what? Dak Prescott is a good quarterback, but 
we're only going to get to a certain level. Like at some point, people in the organization, Mike McCarthy, whoever it is, might just realize that, hey, we're we're not going to break through this glass ceiling with Dak Prescott as our quarterback. Yeah. Wouldn't you start up top though, BK? I mean, you're you're a Cowboys fan. I'm not, but wouldn't you start? I mean, because Dak may be the issue, but wouldn't you start above that, the offensive mind and head coach and the GM? Well, you're asking if I had the chance to murder Jerry Jones, would I? The answer would be yes. <laughs> so yeah, I would start at the very, very top and I would eliminate the owner slash general manager, not only from the team, but from the face of the earth. So, all right, all right, yes, all right. I would start at the top. I feel like I should delete that video just in case something happens to Jerry in the next couple of days. I don't think happens to you. What is Jerry worth? Jer- Jerry could make a phone call right now. Yeah, dude. And y- you could be wiped off the earth. What is Texas sports unfiltered worth? Probably like two bucks. So a little less, <laughs> a little less than what Jerry's worth, I think. Yeah. Hey, hey, next show we're doing's on his yacht. That's that's how well we're doing here. Right. There we go. The Bravo Eugenia. I'm in on that. I'm in on that. Um, she lives there, doesn't she? Eugenia? Yeah. Or no, his wife. I yeah, no. Eugene. Yeah, Eugene. Yeah. 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 She, yeah she's... I'm probably talking out of turn here, and this has not been shared. So, I'm no, sure. I, I'm all I'm sure of now is that uh, BK's last, you know, the thought of sending Jerry Jones out of this mortal world. Uh, it's probably going to get to Roosevelt. So if Roosevelt comes knocking on your door, BK, looking for you, then mm-hmm. you'll know you'll know it's it's time that your time has come. Yeah. Well, Franklin and Teddy are both dead, so I'm not too worried about <laughs> Roosevelt's coming after me. So I think we're okay on that one. Um, yeah. I mean, I I think I'm higher on Dak than most people still. But even me, I'm not in a hurry to extend Dak. So he's got two years left on his contract, right? Yeah. This year and next year. Uh, look, if if he leads the Cowboys to the Super Bowl, like they don't have to win it. But like if the Cowboys go to the Super Bowl this year, then I'm comfortable extending Dak after this yeah. season. No questions asked. But if yeah. it's another one of those, you know, Sunday sucked. Don't get it twisted. The Cowboys are still going to win 11 or 12 games. Like, I, I know they lost to maybe the worst team in football as a 12-and-a-half yeah. point. Like, there's no excusing or sugarcoating that. That that was bad. I still think the Cowboys are an 11-to-12 win team. They've won 12 games the last two seasons. I still You're missing three offensive right. linemen, too. Like, let's kind of yeah. put it in context. Yeah, bit. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, they, they still obviously should have won. They weren't prepared, yeah. and it's the NFL. If you're not prepared to go up against professional athletes – same way the, the the Royals can sweep the Astros, right? Like right. The, the pros on the other side. Mac always said, "KD, I'll let you do the impression." With the scholarship. Uh, oh yeah, right. You know, you know, we get a lot of crap about a lot of stuff, and um, screw you, Kirk, Kirk, whatever. But um, <laughs> they give scholarships too. Yeah, they have scholarships. Yeah. So it's even di- more different. It's even better the at the pro level. Sally Brown, a Miss Sally. Um, <laughs> you know, they've got AC. Some of them do in the uh, facility and all that. And so, you know, it's not as weighted as you think. Well, unless they're LSU playing at Texas a couple of years ago. Uh, that was great. Uh, what a story that wasn't. Jesus. Tom, uh, Tom Lanning, right? Tom Lanning. Tom Herman, Dan Lanning. Ah, uh, yes. Lanning's yes. doing a lot of stuff for being Herman-esque right now. Yeah, he's he's winning more than. That's Tom the thing, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dan, um, Dan Lanning does it. When you do that stuff and you win, you're like a motivational genius, right? 
when you do right. that stuff and you lose, you just look like a freaking goof. I agree. <laughs> I, I will say, and I mean, I it sort it. of boils down to right. Uh, 100%. But I, I get it. And trust me, I totally get it the, with young, younger athletes, especially, but even Michael Jordan's my favorite athlete of all time. And Jordan has Jerry Sloan come in to a restaurant and says, Hey, you know, you're the best player of all time. Love you. Good luck. And he took a slight out of it because yeah. he built it up in his own head. But, and I love Dion, but the Dion stuff and then the landing stuff. Uh, like the fake motivation, the fact that Kirby Smart got the whole Georgia team to think that no one thought they could win it last year. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. What you, I yeah. mean, there is a bullshit element as I get older to where, and I still try and motiv- motivate myself for certain things. And, but it's like, it's got to be close to par, right? Well, that's, that's kind of my deal. Like I go back, I use the Kyler Murray example, right? Like nobody ever believed in me. I'm like, right. The five-star quarterback who's, right. whose dad is an AM legend and whose uncle yeah. was a first-round draft pick and who was a Heisman winner. And then nobody ever thought you'd yeah. be yeah. anything. You've and been guarded three state titles and set the record for most consecutive wins. Yeah, you were undefeated as a high school quarterback. What? And yeah. A first-round pick in the Major League Baseball draft and the NFL draft. Yeah, everybody thought you were garbage. Dude, we, we need Heisman Trophy winners to stop saying that nobody believed in me. Bryce Young did it two years ago. Caleb Williams did it last year. Obviously, Kyler Murray did it when he won. Like, all of y'all were five stars, okay? Bryce Young's the number one recruit in the country. Literally, everybody (laughs) believed in you. Every single person in the world believed in you. Literally everybody. Yes. Yes. So that's, oh, my God. It's just like, if I, I wish I was in the crowd at one of those Heisman ceremonies, so I'd hit him with the cough. Bullshit. You know, one of those things, <laughs> like just in the stands, or hell, we need Billy Sims instead of saying "boomer" on the stage to maybe Bullshit. yell that instead. When the guys start talking about how nobody believed in them, like it's look, you use whatever as motivation, right? Like whatever fuels you, that's fine. But God, they, some of those guys sound like idiots, man. And the Kirby well, Smarts and the, some of those players that we talked about, like you can keep that, keep that to yourself, use it as fuel, but you just sound like a dumbass when you're publicly saying that nobody believed in Georgia football after winning a championship to make them <laughs> win another championship. What are you talking about? With the top rated, you know, combined cumulative class, a compilation. Uh, yeah. Yes, we, we still very much believe in you. You brought your quarterback back. You have Jalen Carter. We, we believe, trust me. Like, but, like yeah. that's yeah, it's like Dabo doing though. Well, we're just little old, dude. You're not little old Clemson anymore. No, you're not. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, if you ask me, do I believe Georgia can go a full year without any driving incidents? That's no, a different story. I don't believe in that. That's you know, if they go a full year, Kirby Smart can say publicly that we had no driving infractions and we're all good, <laughs> and nobody thought we could. And I'd be like, you're damn right. Nobody thought you could. But football, okay. we all thought you could, Kirby. Okay. A full year they have up as goals on the chalkboard right now. Let's get through three weeks. <laughs> Let's get through. And we're talking about people who work here, not just the kids. Get through yeah. three weeks. But I will say, Jeff, quickly that the it's very much a sociopathic type mentality where most things in society, if you have that, I've got to create anything yeah. to get an edge. You're a sociopath. And there's probably other stuff going on in your life. And if you're running the business or I'm sure Ted Bundy had some of those uh, where it's like, whoa, hey there. So in sports, you can kind of make it work, but it's still, I, I, I guess it's alarming because we also live in real life too. Yeah. 
That stuff is at some point it's just not healthy. Yeah, not alarming, but it's alarming in real life and you hear it in sports and like you yeah. said, that's not healthy and don't don't carry that as a stockbroker at 27, okay? At some point, man, yeah, at some point the chip on the shoulder will crush you if you're just out in gen pop trying to do your thing and get along in life. Which we all are. Yeah. All right, so so BK, I know you're probably going to bail here, but what are your final Cowboy thoughts? I mean, it's only one loss, so you guys, like you said, you're going to win 11 or 12. You're going to be fine, right? Well, BK, yeah. for the record, I'm still with you. I'm on the Dak bandwagon. I'm just, when you talk about the extension and what's going to happen down the road, it's like no, Sunday sucked, but like it's just little bits of evidence we're collecting to when it gets time, when it comes nut-cutting time in December and January, and you need to put something on the field. I'm like, okay. Have I seen enough to make me believe that this time it's going to be different? Right. Yeah. Do I think Dak is better than Kirk Cousins? Yes. But, you know, Minnesota's kind of letting Cousins play out the final year of his deal, and they'll they'll just see how he does. And if he does well, they'll keep him. And if not, they're moving yeah. on. Well, they're 0-3. So. They're going to trade him to the Jets probably. And they're yeah. probably looking for value and holding yeah. that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting thought right there. The Jets should be on the phone trying to make that happen because Zach Wilson is, is god-awful. It's making people lose their teeth. Uh, they're so mad about him. That that shit was hilarious. But yeah, no, I like I still think the Cowboys are gonna have a really good year, but obviously that doesn't matter what happens in the regular season. It matters what happens in the playoffs. So we could get a playoff preview in a couple of weeks when Dallas travels to San Francisco to take on your 49ers KD. Like that's obviously been the thorn in the Cowboys side the last couple of years. Even if the Cowboys win that, it'll be like, well the playoffs, see what happens in the playoffs. But obviously that'll be a test to see how they stack up amongst the NFC's elite. I still think the Cowboys are a really good team. I still think once again, they win 11 or 12 games, but like most Cowboys fans, it's like, dude, just show me what happens in January. Like, I don't give a damn if yeah. they go, I don't care if they go nine and eight and get the last wild card spot. If they can make it to the NFC championship game, that's, that's all that matters at this point. Like that's, that's the next step in the progression. Wild card two years ago, divisional last year, that the next step would be to at least get to the conference title game. Obviously, it's been a long time since they've been there. So I've got a lot of friends on that root for a lot of teams, college and pro, but a majority of my friends still would be they root for UT and they root for the Cowboys, right? I grew up in Austin. That's what the majority of my people I know, family, friends. So I feel for y'all and to where because there are a lot of similarities kind of with where the organization or program's been. And some reality checks, obviously, throughout the last 10 for the Cowboys, 25 years, Texas, last 13 <laughs> years. Just, I'm just giving you numbers here. I'm not, yeah, I'm, not, no, I'm, not I'm not trying to be a dickhead. You know, uh, no, I was in the sixth grade, Kevin, the last time they went to an NFC championship game. Like, I barely had hairs on my peaches the last time this this team was legit contending for the Super Bowl. It's also crazy because it kills me to say this, but in my lifetime, we can talk about rules changes and salary cap, which came around really was felt in 95, 96, implemented early, earlier than that, but a couple years earlier. But that obviously changes the landscape. But the Cowboys, the 92 and 93 teams were the best pro teams I've ever seen in my life. It, I was not, I mean, they were beating the Niners. I didn't like them, but I'm just being real. that They were that good to go from that to with a super billionaire owner who's built the brand to what it has you know it reminds me of texas like dude the last 15 years you know the texas brand how much more it's worth i don't care stop telling me that because we've like, not been winning where i want to win and, and directors on both sides now and even this year's teams there are some similarities 
Yeah, and don't tell me how many director's cups you've won. Right. You know? It's great yeah. for it's great for the athletic department. It's great for CDC. BK, you hanging a director's cup champion banner in your in your office there? If someone gives me one, <laughs> yeah, you will. <laughs> I'll wear I'll wear a director's cup shirt too. Everything, man. Well, and I would even say the director's cup. I'm proud of because I. It's cool that you know we are friends going to UT that were doing everything and and play, we're literally doing everything. But the athletes that were playing everything, right? And it's cool that that there is a Stanford vibe to Texas to where they're beating the shit out of everyone in a lot of sports. But it's the money made, and this is how much money. This is how much Texas is worth. How much money they've made. Which I know is a good thing overall as a athletic department and a university, but it just it gets rubbed in your face like a Cowboys fan that they're worth more than any other organization out there. It's been twenty five years. Yep, and it and it feels like that's all they care about, right? Like because yeah. yeah, BK doesn't it drive you nuts when you're watching a game and especially if it's an afternoon game and like Dak gets blinded by the sun or he'll throw a pick or somebody drops a pass. I'm like, oh. it's only that way because your idiotic owner designed the stadium that way because it looks cooler on TV. Right. We get forget, some blinds, how about some blinds out there, you know, I, like, they exist. I know, I know curtains exist. I've been in there for other events where they've used curtains. Mm. Yeah. They've been able to drape those windows. I know yeah. they exist. Jeff, that, that may be the best example. He's more proud of the baby he built and wants to see the sun shine through because he had talked about it as opposed to winning a football, which I know he cares about. So it's not like he cares about that. It's tied to his ego, but he cares more about, which he's brilliant at, clearly, building a brand and a business and making money, which mm -hmm. he's, he's Warren Buffett-esque that way. Yeah. Yep. All right. Before I part ways and let you guys handle the last 30 minutes, I do want to give a shout out to some of our sponsors. Yeah, please. Great Blue Heron Furniture, one of our newest sponsors here at Texas cool. Sports Unfiltered. Cool. See the little dog on the couch over there on the left side of your screen. <laughs> Great Blue Heron Furniture started in 1991. They focus on heavy leathers, fabrics, and hides ranging from traditional Western to modern farmhouses. This stuff is beautiful. It's also the highest quality furniture that you can find. So if you're looking for a chair, a couch, whatever, that's going to last for decades, not years, decades, you got to go to greatblueheronfurniture.com. The most stylish, the most comfortable, and the most well-built furniture out there, greatblueheronfurniture.com. If you go to their website and use the promo code HOOKEM, you're going to get 15% off your purchase as well i'm telling you no better furniture place than great blue heron furniture shout out to them also shout out to covert b cave as well if you're looking for a new or pre-owned car truck or suv you got to go with the coverts covert b cave 42 acres they've got seven different brands we love being partners with the covert auto group they have us out for tons of friday luncheons tons of pre-games on saturday it's been a ton of fun going out there so definitely go See the coverts if you need a vehicle. Nobody beats a covert deal. Not now, not ever. And, of course, shout-out to all of our great sponsors, including AV Consultations. I know y'all could talk a little bit more about them. All right, fellas, I will be tuned in to the last 30 minutes. Thank you, guys. I'll talk to you all soon. All right. See you, BK. Go rub one out, brother. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I didn't yeah. see your face after that. No, no. I mean, 
times are hard, Katie. Do what you got to do, man. I can only imagine. Um, I will get back to him right now. Unless you're Dana Stubblefield, then don't. But it's too late uh, for him. If it's Dana, then I'm I'm definitely blocking it right away. Oh man, that's not a horrible story. Like what a so what I, a, what so a garbage I, human being. So I I knew that it was something that was garbage, and I was taking the call, and so I only heard you talking about it walking out. What did he do again? Uh. And if we don't need to repeat it, then then I'll just say he's a garbage human being. We can move on. In, in, inappropriate, inappropriate physical act with a uh, with a, a woman who was said to be disabled. That's pretty top of the list, despicable. So I mean, yeah, Dana Stubblefield or no, and inappropriate. So yeah, yeah. it's like uh, you know, you read the Kellen Winslow Jr. stuff. It's, like, it's, it's a bad guy. It's not good. The Kellen Winslow stuff also, I think there's a lot not to give him a pass as a human being. There's no way you do any of that right? without something internally being there. And the, even the stories that the U were pretty crazy. Speaking of rubbing one out, he wouldn't walk <laughs> in front of people. I yeah. didn't think about the uh, I never understood the segue that. Like, there, but... like guys watching porn. Now, if you're all gay and having an orgy, I get it. But, you know, in college, you walk in and someone may have the Houston 500 on. <laughs> 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. What an old school walk, reference by you, sir. Hey, what are you all doing? I want to sit around with you all and talk football. This is, you know, can you put Jerry Springer on or something? Man, there. Well, you talk about like an eighth grade reference I haven't thought about in a minute. The Houston <laughs> 500. Wow. <laughs> that's a true story i walked in and saw that thought what the fuck are y'all doing that's where you just turn around we've all had oh, those, yeah, we all had those moments in college I, I, where i turned around pretty quickly you walk in and you're you scan the room real quick like yeah i'm gonna be anywhere except right here in the next yeah. three seconds and college rooms like that it'd be it'd be like a day like today where it's sunny outside it's really bright you may have sunglasses and you walk in and talk about curtains getting back to jerry and it's 68 degrees in there or it feels like a, a grocery store and it's as dark as a cave it's probably like, a black light probably a black light on cover here yeah probably a black light black light right always a bong or something like that it was not that you know you may stop by for 10 minutes but it'd be one minute if they're doing the houston 500 it's like all right dude i'm gonna i'm gonna go you yeah, enjoy yourself. No, no part of this. There's a there's a different there's a fine line between doing something in the privacy of your own dwelling and just being a creepy bastard. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? um, right. And usually in your own dwelling, uh, you know, you're a creepy bastard, or you may be, and whatever. You're not hurting anyone. But that's but... between like you and the dog or whatever, you know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you know, no, I know what you mean. About a, I'm not never, talking about a peanut like, butter on. I never liked having things. sex in front of animals. I didn't like masturbating in front of them. Um, you know, the you know, cats and dogs are pretty smart. They 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 know what you're doing. Now they also have no problem tonguing their butthole in front of you. Here's the difference I found though, Katie, between the two. In all honesty. The dog dogs will hang around and try to be like gen as my dog strolls in here. Dogs will hang around and try to be like genuinely curious about what's going on with the threat of ruining the moment. 
cats almost have that spidey sense where they're like, okay, it's time to, you know, go find a dark corner to hide in for about 20 minutes. Yeah. I think both are voyeuristic. I mean, you know, dogs have an, an insane smell. They're a 10 out of a 10. We're one out of a 10. Yeah. Cats are seven or eight out of 10. Their smell yeah. is actually really good. Same thing with hearing. Depending on the dog, cats have better hearing. They're a 10 out of a 10. We're one out of a 10. Dogs may be six to an eight. And this is me reading. So me, I may be wrong about that, but also going through it. But they definitely, there's a smell when there's sex, especially that mm-hmm. I think it does fire up dogs. And I mean, how, how do they greet each other? So it's, fer- it's pheromones and whatnot. You know? Right. So I, but I think cats get more voyeuristic and then creeped out and just want to get out. Yeah. Unless you like art, like my cat, he just, he, he hangs out in the closet all day. Literally. He's got his little cat bed in the closet and yeah, he'll probably about six, seven o'clock tonight. He'll stroll out and conduct his cat business. And then. We won't see him again until same time tomorrow. Wow, that that's like pretty, but that's pretty hardcore. The fact that he's like just, I mean, once they get older, they get like that. Cats are like old men. They just <laughs> at some point just want to stay in their house and and they may be on the message boards all day, but they really don't want to talk to anyone or see anyone. My our cat, he's up at like, you know, crack of dawn when we get up, everybody's getting ready for work and school. Yeah. He he gets he does gets he say him. hi? Does he, yeah. does he come by and, and rub you a little yeah, bit? Yeah, and, and I'll give him his little, you know, you know, he's got a little tube of food, and, you know, right. squirt it in the bowl, and then he'll eat and go take a dump, and then he's like, all right, all right, fat <laughs> guy, I'll see you in about 10 hours. <laughs> no, it's great. They, they, they love, they love, they're like parents when the kids during summer break or yeah. during the pandemic or a wife or husband, whenever the other one retires and they're back home now all the time. Yeah. It's like go fucking play golf, Jesus! Like yeah. you're ruining my schedule. I, I was on a <laughs> schedule here. Yeah, CB cats and heat. That we got our cat neutered many, many years ago. I took Smart. Bob Barker's advice. So. Bob Barker guy. Yeah. Well, Bob Barker wasn't the best guy, but eh, well, not not Dana Stubblefield or Kellen Winslow levels of creepy. But he's on. Yeah, but we're setting a low bar with that one, Jack. <laughs> yeah. there, there's a lot of criminal activity above that. Yeah, there's a fine, there's a, an area between, ah, eh, maybe you did some things with a model you shouldn't have. Maybe you're a little touchy and, yeah, you know, rubbing one out in front of somebody in public. Like, there's, there's a lot of gray area in there, you know? There, there was a lot of white area in there. Hey, um, I do want to show something real quick. Big Craig had requested this in the chat. So, Big Craig, I don't know if you're there anymore, but this was a bit when Craig and I had our radio show to like bring my, my high school football jersey in and like show it off. I don't know why people wanted to see it, but big Craig said, we need to see the jersey. We need to see the jersey. So I, I have it and I'll hold it up. All Here right, it is in all, in all its glory. That there. is awesome. Look at that. 79, man. You're a guard, right? Yeah. That thing, uh, you can see the shoulders on that thing where I've got all the rips and tears and there's stuff sewn up. So it's been, uh, yeah, Did you been, sew them up after or what? Well, you didn't sew anything. Did you no. have them, did you have them sewn up after you no. played? You or? know how old how old school it was, Kevin, even back in my day. That's where you uh every like Tuesday after the you know, after the laundry was done, you'd see like one of the JV coaches taking a stack of jerseys like down to the home ec room. Yep. The home ec class is gonna sew, you know, sew shoulders yep. and whatnot back up. Yeah. No, I mean that's a high school working together. Yeah. We've got a class, and and you've got to do this now. Yeah. Did you, ever, did you take home ec in high school? 
we didn't have home ec in high school. We had home ec, I think we had to take in middle school. Okay. And um wasn't one of my best classes. I uh I took home ec as a senior, as a junior. No, as a senior, yeah, it was called food science, is what it was called. I would have loved that. Yeah, it was awesome. And no, Kent- this was sewing and shit like that because I'm older than you. And I thought, yeah. you know, not being a sexist, I half the women don't want to do this. Anymore. No, that, like, you know, what, that what was fun. Like, I made, made, made my own curry chicken. I made it, made an apple pie from scratch. Oh. Uh, I would have been, been all about that. Cake decorating was the one I failed, Kevin. I mean, it looked like it looked like Helen Keller got a hold of some uh, some <laughs> piping. Like it was, it was bad. It was bad. Tell you what, if Helen Keller gets a hold of piping, they always say when you lose the sense that the other ones are accentuated. Mm-hmm. That must have been one hell of a blowjob because she's lost those senses. <laughs> hey, Helen, Helen, some dick too, man. I mean. Hey, she gets some in heaven, so there you go. I don't know where where we where There's we go. Nowhere to go after that. No, no, nowhere to go. Um, I would I do want to spend talk talk some more college football though, and I want to stick with Texas. You brought up Quinn earlier, and Great I want to transition go, and the only one we have. Yes, yeah, so. no, I, I would. You, but honestly, seriously though, you did bring up Quinn earlier, and I want yeah. to go back to that. And uh, again, I credit my man Matt Butler making a great point. I'm like, you know. Uh, it's not that I felt like Quinn left some meat on the bone Saturday, but it's like it was it was a performance for him that I was it was almost boring, but in the best possible way, right? Yeah. Like yeah. just really clean. And and Matt was like, "Well, you, if you think about it, like they really didn't need him to do a whole lot. You know, it was one of those right. games where it's like just just operate the offense, don't turn it over, and you're going to be fine. And and other than a like, you can count on one hand." The number of times he's really put the ball in jeopardy this year. Right. He should have had a pick on Saturday. Yeah. But overall, like his command of the offense, his feel for the offense, you can tell is really good. I'm just kind of waiting for, okay, what, when do we see this thing get taken up a notch with him? Like when do we, the Oklahoma game last year, the first quarter of the Alabama game, like, you know, at times during pretty much the entire Bama game this year, like, do we see that Quinn consistently? Um, when I, does he hit? Because we know it's there. Yeah. Do Do we see him hit that stride? That's think, my thing. Yeah, it's a great question, and I still think of everything right now. The biggest question: if Texas is a college football playoff team, and we need to remember what the expectations are to where if they win ten games and play in a January 6th bowl, that's still really good and still mm-hmm. moving in the right direction. But everything's in front of us now. And you go, well, it's wide open too. So you look at the landscape and the environment. That's still the biggest question. And I, I think you hit on a couple things there. One, it has been good to see him be boring at times. Mm-hmm. And because it was either 49 nothing or first half against or first quarter against Alabama or it was TCU in some games you saw, whoa. Second half against Oklahoma State. Right, second half against Oklahoma State. But, Jeff, if in those games he just manages the offense and doesn't, and doesn't play at the bottom end and the mm-hmm. barrel and floor of, of his abil- uh, ability at that point, Texas wins one or two of those, right? Yeah. For good. I mean, it would have been in a much better shape. They – 
Yeah, I don't know about TCU because the whole TCU, offense was it, but but they beat Oklahoma State. Yeah, they do. And I have so no doubt about that. Win some of those, but I do think part of this is managing the game, but also, um, and I, I may be proven dead wrong about this, but Sark is saving stuff, so Quinn's going to shine in those big games. Yeah, which which makes you feel good about the next two games on the schedule, right? You're playing the top 25 team at home. And then you go to Dallas for what might be. You realize, Kevin, these two teams haven't come into the game undefeated, both of them, since 2011, Texas and Oklahoma. 2011, wow. Yeah, we're we're one win away from both of them from getting that. It's been a long time. 12 years. And, and, you know, it's been pretty much during the Texas downturn. It's been typical of what, what we've known this rivalry to be. It's just weird stuff happens. The favored team doesn't always win. Uh, the ball bounce is funny. But this year, you might get one of those games where it's two ranked teams and the product bears that out. It's two top 15 teams and the product on the field bears that out. Right. Because I just don't know how good Oklahoma is still, though. You know? Like, I wasn't overly impressed with what I saw against. I know they're better defensively, but it's hard to be any worse than they were last year. Like, they couldn't have gotten worse. They're definitely better defensively. I'm pretty sure Venables is calling the plays right now, too. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You watch the Cincy game, and I'm pretty sure he's calling them. He's a good defensive mind. So, but, but I mean, they're, dude, their angles and their fits and their tackling was so piss poor last year. I had, maybe outside of the John Blake era, I had never seen Oklahoma look like that. So it was no. only going to get better. But as we know, we've seen Texas in that spot. It's like, they're tackling better. And they're... But they, they haven't played anyone. I mean, Cincinnati is – I'm not faulting them. Well, it's a Big 12 game. But they're they're just not what they what they used to be. So I yeah. would look at that. I, I just don't know what we're going to find out about them. Are they? Do they have a bye week this week? Oh, you? Yeah. No, they're at home against Iowa State. Again, we're not going to learn a whole lot. No, Iowa State's got nothing. I watched a little Iowa State-Oklahoma State. So, yeah, we're not going to know. I mean, the one thing that does worry me is that Gabriel will go down the field, and they're going to take chances. And I never like being the favorite in this game. No. Probably my (laughs) first one was 89. So I've got 89, 90, 91, 92 all four in a row where mm-hmm. Texas was a heavy underdog and beat them. This the, is one of those games yeah. that, that that happens because the talent is always going to be close enough. I was, I was in the cotton bowl for what was supposed to be max funeral and 13. Yeah. And I'm, I'm within an earshot from OU writers. You remember early in that game, there was a fourth and short that Texas went for it. And Malcolm Brown rips off like a nine, just a physical yeah. ass nine yard run. And I hear from within an earshot, I hear Oklahoma, some Oklahoma writers go, Oh, S. Yeah. I'm like, this is, this is not good. Like, Texas looks dialed in. And then the, the, the game that, uh, you know, Charlie's one win against OU. Yeah. Texas had no business winning that game. No, so the 2013 game would have been the Case McCoy, Marcus Johnson <laughs> game, right? Where yeah. they were. I'm I'm writing notes, Katie. I'm I'm just writing, you know, for stuff I've got to write afterwards. And I look up in time to see Case dropping back, and he puts that one for Mike Davis, just drops Mike it Davis. over the shoulder, yeah. 
right in the bucket. I just threw my pen in the air. I'm like, dude, it, oh, yeah. it's just it's just your day at that point. Like yeah. it's it it was Case McCoy's world. We were all just living in it that day. Yeah, still is, man. Case is crushing it for HPI and is a really good guy. So what I hear, man. But yeah, I mean, he's also a winner and he showed that in big games, whether it's college station or, or that game. But so I, I'm doing LHN at that point and I'm doing we're doing Longhorn Extra every single night. Remember, <laughs> started for an hour, like and I'm writing it with with Andy and a couple other people, Justin Ray, like really talented people. And um, it just was a lot. So the one thing I always look forward to is that major we, you know, we did the radio show together. We're friends and. He was the OC. He uh, would come on, I think it was Wednesday, and we would do a segment for Longhorn Extra, which is the Sports Center show. If you guys don't have LHN or don't care about it, totally get it. But afterwards, we would always talk, and I would always just, he'd be like, hey, the mic's off. I go, cut the mics. So, and I said, hey, what's going to happen this weekend? And he goes, we're going two tights, fullbacks, and we're going to shove it up their fucking mouth. <laughs> or shove it up their fucking ass, he actually said. And then I go, what? He goes, no. He goes, we're going to hit him in the mouth, and we're going to take deep shots off of that. And I thought, okay, we'll see, you know. And, like, everything, like, but you know the way Major can be. Yeah. He was, he was very forceful and in Major when he told me. And I thought, do you believe? He's like, I've looked at film we are going to take it to him. And we talked about Ohio state earlier. I think that may have been the early part of OU feeling defensively vulnerable and soft they, at times. They had already, they had already lost that. They had lost that. Yeah. Edge yeah, by that point. Yeah, yeah. 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 Probably Oh, 08, 09 around there. Maybe. I, I think, I think really. You say I, 05, 06. You could start to see it then, but I really think when Texas beat oh, them in 08. Or against USC, right? <laughs> no, well, that was part of it. Because here's my thing with OU, right? And like my you gotta understand, like I'm a I'm a junior in high school when 63-14 happens. So this is my prime college football viewing years is when Oklahoma gets really good again. And it felt like in the you know, the national championship year through was it like 03, the year they played LSU and lost down in the Sugar Bowl when mm-hmm. Jason White was hurt and whatever? Uh, kind of that Mike Stoops. It wasn't necessarily Bob, but it was like Mike Stoops in that defense. Like the defense had an attitude. And, you know, I've interacted with Dusty Dvorak a little bit since then. And and you think about Dvorak and Layman and Tommy Harris, and you mentioned Talk Derek Strader. I'll give him credit. He does yeah. a pretty good job now after – he obviously had steroid or whatever issues were with the right. story you heard about beating guys up with bats. Yeah. But that defense, man, Kevin, they they played with an edge, not just a physical edge, but there were dudes that like on the edge of life, like they they live yeah. life on the edge. Like Brandon Everidge yeah. was one of those guys. Right. Uh the late Brandon Everidge. And and it just had a different feel to it. It almost Corey had like Heineke a- was, Corey Heineke was a great guy. I'll give him credit. The one time I've gone to an OU game was with Major. The Alabama game in 02, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. You know, 03. It was 03. Yeah. 03, Francione, Les Koenig, and, and Heineke showed us around. I thought, this is pretty cool. He's like, you probably could have gone to OU, right? I was like, you know what? In any other body or world, I could have. This is a cool campus and I've had fun, but no, I could have gone. To right. Exactly. And I've had a ball. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but oh, you played with an edge, and like I think a lot of that was Mike Stoops and just the defensive culture that they had at the time. Like, there's some, there's some bad mothers on that defense, man. Yeah, and I think once those guys started to so cycle Torrance out, Torrance Marshall, Rocky Kalmus, um, Roy Williams was a fat ass under John Blake, and they got <laughs> him in shape and put him in linebacker type blitzing positions. Dude, maybe. Derek Strait, who I said earlier, I hope all the Strait family realizes when I was watching your kid and covering him at, was it Lanier or Crockett? Lanier. He was at Lanier, yeah. Yeah, that I was totally wrong about the evaluation. Your kid probably had three picks against Texas and was freshman All-American and, and was a stud and won a national championship. So they, like, they were evaluating properly, but also yeah. very Tom Osborne on-the-edge kids, too. Yeah, and I think once those Not guys straight, started – no, once those guys started to cycle out, though, and moved on to the NFL, they lost a little bit of that. I think similarly to, like, Ohio State, like, probably 07, 08, like, they still had Gerald McCoy, and they still had some dudes, but they had gotten so focused on being fast, being athletic, that they – and I think with Mike Stoops leaving, they had lost that edge a little bit. Yeah. To where after, after that 08 season, when they lost to Texas in the regular season, they lost to Florida in the championship game, and then Bradford gets hurt in 09. They never really got it back after that. And the reason why I say it wasn't that 13 game, they had that Cotton Bowl loss to AM the year before. Where oh, the Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Manziel and that team like, on three hours sleep from game. Yeah. <laughs> ran them, ran them out of the building that night. Yeah. That's crazy. No, you're right. But Oakland was another good example of I remember I was so worried after 2000 and they were going to get five-star kids now, and I thought, oh, God, you know, the, the natural assumption for us as sports fans or people who cover it is that it's only going to get better, right? Mm -hmm. If you can take three stars and win national championships, what are you going to do with four and five stars and a bunch of them? And Saban yeah. has proven a lot. You actually can. A, a lot of dynasties have. So it doesn't always go this way, but there's probably half or more in our lifetime that – actually kind of lose who you are in your personality yeah. and the identity of the program and the soul and the character of what you really are, which really makes this whole fucking thing go. Yeah. And they lose that. And the ones that can keep that, which Saban was able to, it's hard to be blue collar living in a $3 million house. The people who pull that off, those are the ones that just keep on shooting up. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's the same thing I hear. I, I hear rappers talk about this, right? Like I've heard Eminem talk about it. I've heard other guys talk about I it. Say, how many rappers do you hang out with? You mean like outside? Like Yeah, I, I've, heard, I've heard them in interviews talk about it. Like Eminem's the one that sticks out. Like, I, elevator, I think, right? I think when he was getting ready for like album number three, it's like, okay, can't really talk about being broke and poor and down in the gutter anymore because you're a multimillionaire now. Yeah. You're world famous. Like, so what what do you do you know that's it, right it, yeah how no eminem, you, how eminem actually had a great line that because it was along those same lines maybe in the same time period where they said you know your music's really changed from eight mile he said yeah no shit i have an elevator in my house right now right. i was living in a trailer park with my mom yeah. right yeah the stories are going to change a little bit yeah know? Yeah, that first album too. It's always your life. That's why a lot of rappers are for their best albums are first album because that's your life's work up to that point. Right. You yeah. Know? No, it's really who you are. That's why Dr. Dre only put one out every like nine years. I know. It's why I can't wait to hear Dr. Dre after the divorce. His next one. <laughs> he, 
you thought housewives was some good shit oh man brutal um i don't even know where we were, we were talking about oklahoma but you know yeah. Kevin, I'll, I'll talk more about this are you gonna be around on friday or what, what are we doing on friday because i know i'll be here i'll be on for a little bit on friday at least I maybe i've got a couple things that i may have to jump out for but i mean i, I always want to be a part whenever i can so uh, as long as the so i bet say as long as the audience wants it eh, not even that i'll just be yeah. a part when i want to <laughs> um if I don't get to say this on Friday or say this with you, I mean, I, I think Texas wins this game against Kansas. My thing is I said that Trey and I talked about this last Friday. Like I thought week four was one of those, okay, you're four games into it. At some point, it's like everybody's finding an identity and figuring out who these teams are. This is the point where like, okay, you've had enough time to, for lack of a better term, fish the trash out of the lake and now the lake's going to freeze over, and this is just going to be who you are. Yep. I, I feel like I've got an idea of who Texas is, but with the exception, like I asked you of Quinn, because where he goes, that raises the ceiling of the offense exponentially if we see that development from him. Yep. No, I feel you're like right. This defense, I feel like this defense is, is legit. It is real. It is. I, our eyes have not deceived us. They are. I think there will be, like anything with, NFL too, but there'll be slight adjustments. Who they're playing well now. You're yeah. how, every sport. Yeah. Rockets going a nine-game win streak, and they lose four in a row. What's going on? The Rangers are a great example of that. Where, but we also kind of knew those flaws. Getting back to your point, I mean, the Rangers were beating people by eleven runs <laughs> in April, and I would yeah. tell you, yeah, I don't trust their bullpen, um, which is why they went out to go help it out. So. I think we know what the defense is. The one thing I would say we may change a little bit on, I'll be shocked if they get run on. I'll be shocked if the D-line in that yeah. front is is not what we think right now. Yeah. Maybe a bad game here, but it's only by a certain margin. Even you, know, you go back to – even you go, back to, yeah. go ahead, you, go ahead, Jeff. No, you go back to last year, though. Like, even that was a that was a defense that other than – TCU broke a couple because they kept chipping away at it, and so did Washington. Other than that, nobody really ran, just lined up and ran the ball at Texas last year. And I no, don't see that changing right now. No, it's actually been it's been pretty linear, and so it's easy to look at and say, well, they were this, and now they're this. No, you're right. Last year, the defense got better, and the run yeah. defense got better. And now they're at a point where they've got enough bodies, and they're really good. The secondary's gotten a ton better. I mean, the space cadets we had in the secondary for that 10-year span, <laughs> and in fairness to them, fairness to those guys, I saw it all over college football. So it, it bugged me more when my team did it. Um, and you're playing in space. You're playing with rules that don't help you out. You can't yeah. change them and hold and really bump and grind uh, on at the line of scrimmage like, like, like they used to. Yeah. I mean, do you remember 5'7"? 150 pound guys, even in college back in the day, Jeff. Yeah. We'd say, Oh, we love them. We we can't punt. You, you're never getting off the line of scrimmage. I mean, those yeah. guys would get mugged, felonious mugging <laughs> at the line of scrimmage and are on the ground. You know, who cares if you run a four or three if you can't get into your route? If you did see like uh Joey Getherall was the cat at Notre Dame, like the you know, the five seven punt returner. Or like a like a Vinny Sutherland at Purdue, those guys wow, were those yeah. guys were like few and far between, like the five eight, five nine. They were just, 
Yeah. And there now were those so guys quick, are everywhere. They were so quick off the line, but even then you had you had to play around with them. So I understand the secondary's got a tough job. That's the premise of all that. Yeah. But there are still some things that I mean, it wouldn't shock me if they get torched a little bit because Alabama would have two first round picks, right? Yeah, and win a national win a national championship, two first round picks from the secondary, and had three games where they got burned four times. It, it just happens now. Mm-hmm. It's going to sure happen at the right time, and hope they don't hit. The other thing too, Katie, up other than Texas up front, you know, there's the down defensive linemen, and we'll include interior guys and edge guys. They're really good. You look at any Texas defense that's been good, like we by any measure, like over the last, even during this downturn, right? Like 2011, 14, 17, all those defenses, even last year's defense, what do all those defenses have in common? They got really good linebacker play. And yeah. Last year was Ford and Overshone. And with, with Jalen Ford, at some point, there's going to be a team that exploits David Benda. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know when it's going to hell. Maybe it's this Saturday. Maybe it's Oklahoma next week. But you know, as long as you've got Jalen Ford in the middle of that defense, dude, he's just he's gonna he's gonna be the the thing that kind of holds it together. He's gonna be the glue, the, the the guy that the guy that is the heartbeat of that defense. Yeah, and the great thing too is that it's not it just doesn't take up enough of your defense now to where when Colorado's coming in, in ninety, we're wondering about Boone Powell and Anthony Curl, the same in the will. <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, where that, that was a yeah. that was a huge part. I was a what a uh, quarter of your defense so it was yeah. a big part and now you may play two and you play around with one who's kind of a safety and really catalan's our linebacker in this and he's got the lane to run downhill and will and but anthony hill i think getting him to not just be an edge guy but to really learn that position yeah that position group if they this is also the evolving and developing that you know Yes, for us looking at it, I'm with you. You kind of are what you are right now. We get a certain point, you're not going to get that much better, but you can get better, and certain right. guys can get better too. And you can yeah. stay healthy too, which is the biggest thing. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing that I would add here, uh, when, we, when we're talking about the defense, uh, you know, you mentioned linebacker, dude, off ball linebacker is one of those positions. Like you go back 10, 12 years ago when the RPO was really starting because you know, Holgerson started it when you know he was at Oklahoma State when it really started it started to really take hold that position's taken longer to catch up with where modern football is than any other position because the body types you would have recruited 15 years ago those guys are edge guys now right yep. they're situational rushers they're not linebackers May, hell, maybe you grow them into defensive tackles yeah. but you know when when you first realized that Texas had it figured out that 2017 defense when you had Malik Jefferson and Gary Johnson what'd you have you had the guys that went to the combine, ran the two fastest 40 times playing linebacker. Yep. You need guys at that position that can run, that can cover ground. You had that last year with Ford and Overshone. Uh, this year, do you have that with Ford and Benda? I don't know. But between Benda and to your point about Anthony Hill, between Benda, Anthony Hill, and now getting Mo Blackwell back, you can moneyball it a little bit at that other position next to Ford. To whatever, the, whatever the matchup is, one of those guys just might end up playing more than the other two. Agreed. And also, yes, good point on that. And it kind of goes to the secondary comment, too, that that if one of those guys gets hurt or doesn't play well, I mean, you can throw in a Malik Muhammad at corner Mm -hmm. or Derek Williams. now. I mean, to where it feels like they just got more bodies to throw out the problem. Yeah. If there is a problem. I know you got to go. I got to go, too. But uh, this is always fun. And we're going to be doing this a lot. Jeff and I. As y'all can probably tell, uh, whether y'all liked it or not, love talking with each other, <laughs> talking sports. But yeah. I was thinking about my favorite.
college quarterbacks of all time. Do you, do you want to guess my top three? Your top three. I was going through it. Rick Meyer. How dare you? By the way, Tony, Tony Rice would be number one if Notre Dame, if a Notre Dame guy was on there. I was going to say Ron Paulus, Kevin McDougal. How get far back you want me to go? Get out of here. <laughs> I mean, number number one's pretty obvious, probably. Uh, James Brown? Mark Murdoch. Um, <laughs> with Shannon Kelly, too, mainly because of the Merrily Rutten stuff. But no, BY's one for obvious reasons. But, yeah. um, but I, I want to see if you can get two and three. Uh, two and three. Two, two was another team I like, and then you know I love mobile quarterbacks, so they're all three mobile. Charlie Ward's got to be one of them. Charlie Ward's number two. Matt Jones. <laughs> Matt Jones. <laughs> ah, it was more of the the Tommy Frazier. Tommy, look at you, God, you do know me. Yeah, th- those are my top three favorite college quarterbacks of all time, and and two of them I were teams I rooted for. But um, Tommy Frazier, dude, are you kidding me, dude? I, you know who who's in my top three? He won't be there statistically. Yeah, give he me your top three as a fan, not, I mean, not covering it. No, I mean, I mean, Vy's in there for sure. He's one though, right? Yeah, dude, it's, okay. it's right. it can't be there can't be any any question of any debate about that. You know what I love? I'll run into a Purdue fan who doesn't give a shit about Texas. And they will say, oh, Vince Young's the best college quarterback I've ever seen. This is not us being homers. It, you have to be objective about this. It, there may be someone else. You say, hey, I, I want more of this scheme. I'm going to go Trevor Lawrence. Oh, right. I'm going to go Joe Burrow. Gotcha. They're all. Yeah. But as a college quarterback, it, 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 that's tough to beat. Yeah. He had, highest, he had the highest, what is a passer efficiency that year in 2005. Mm-hmm. And threw the ball down the field. Yeah, VY would be one for and me. Six six and ran a four four and could <laughs> Peter work around you and Tom, could run over you. Uh, Tommy Frazier would be number two for me for sure. Okay. Um, and I, I, I've got a tie at three. Both very opposite ends of the spectrum. All right. Well, l- let me guess here. What what are were they teams you're rooted for or no? No, we're talking late nineties, early two thousands. Late nineties. So Michael Vick's one of them. Michael Vick would be three A, yeah. Okay. And mm-hmm. so the opposite spectrum, dude, don't say Chris Winky. Not no, no. And not Jared Lorenzen, but somebody in the bigger quarterback mold. Rest in peace, Jared Lorenzen, by the way. Oh, is he done? Is did he die? Yeah. That's is he done? No, it's called the death, Kevin. Yeah. Um, this is not, you know, an expiration for a test. I'll give I'll give you a hint. No, a, I mean he's a bigger guy, late 90s. He's not Lorenzen. Think, think early 2000s. Is it? Oh, are you kidding me? We talked about him earlier, right? I don't think we mentioned him today, no. No, Jamarcus would have been later. Yeah. This is a great thing. So Bob and I were laughing. I'm finally at the age where I've been watching and I've been there. I've been, you are too, where I'm watching college football for so long that four or five years kind of just all blends together. Dude. Go, oh, it was 93. No, yeah. it was 97. Well, I was close. My, my, my three A is Michael Vick. All right. Three, give me a three hand B. Three B. There's a famous video of his offensive lineman carrying him down the field oh! with a leg injury. 
I didn't realize while well, I was watching Marshall too, and now he's one of the best offensive coordinators out there. I didn't realize that yeah, Byron's one of those guys I probably should have. Byron Leftwich, um, those Marshall teams were a blast to watch. You remember the reverse they'd run Dude. with Moss? Or no, that was Pennington and Moss. So he was Pennington he was and Moss. After, yeah. And Eric Eric Cresser and Moss too. Eric from Cresser there. from Florida, yeah. What a right. transfer. Dude. Me and my Yo, buddy Byron's Chris, team was Byron's just me, me and my buddy Chris Dukes. We went to a Mexican restaurant in our hometown, good old Florence, America, on a random Thursday night, and we're there for dinner. And the owner's like, You guys are never here for dinner. What's going on? I was like, dude, we're gonna get some we're gonna get some nachos and fajitas and buckling because Louisville's playing Marshall on Thursday night. And I want to watch Dave Ragone against Byron Leftwich. I was gonna say, was that Redmond, one of the Redmonds, or that was Ragone? That was Ragone, yeah. The lefty, the lefty with a weird funky, but he could hit. I'm trying to think in order. It was it. It was Ragone. They had a couple pro wideouts. It went. It went Redmond, Ragone, Brian Brom, and then I think Stefan LaForce in that order. Yeah. Byron Leftwich. I love me some Byron Leftwich, Katie. Ninety-three. My stepdad takes me down to um, one of these pool pool uh, parlors or whatever off. Ben White, right? Mm. He lived in South Austin, so took me down there, and I was like, "Wow, people are drinking this aggressively at 10 a.m." And it was, uh, was like, "Welcome to life." Now, I was old enough; I'd been around that, but I was like, you know, I'd never been like in a pool place like that, which was felt like a strip club but dirtier. Right. So, so pretty much, pretty much, I loved it and felt at home. And so we went to go watch Texas. John Makovic's what second year there? Ninety-three year two Louisville. Howard Schnellenberger, and I mean, they whipped the piss out of us on ABC. Joe Johnson was on that Louisville team on that Louisville defense. Yes, he was. Oh, and uh, no, I mean, for all the Texas fans right now, like they may win nine or ten games. They they may blow stuff on their own. It's college football. They may get screwed because you. I've never seen a commissioner this mafi mafioso, and I would have said this before his comments saying we're gonna fuck you. So they may fuck you, and they fucked us before they said they were going to fuck us. So <laughs> expecting it fucked. Um, you got to be better than that and win by ten, and it may be a three point game. But enjoy all this. This program culture is definitely moving in the right direction, Jeff. Hopefully, it turns out, and we've got you on pregame, and we all go out to the semifinal game. But but they're going to be better better than they have been in a long time. Can we say that for sure? Yes. Yeah. Especially with, we'll, we'll talk about it as we go forward, but dude, this thing, <laughs> this thing is wide open, man. There's, there's no, there's no great team in college football this year. There's a lot of good teams. There is no, there, there's no Oh one Miami lurking, you know? Do you know the last year I would go back to, to remember it being this wide open? And I, I want to, I want to say 2007. It was, yeah, yeah, that's right there. But even more so, it reminds me of this, is 90-91. Oh, yeah, when you had Georgia Tech and Colorado split a national championship. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was wide open. They were begging, you know. Dude, there, there, there are nine Mac Brown teams that would have won the national championship that year. Like Georgia, I think Georgia was, Tech had a loss, yeah. like – it's it, it wasn't the following year where you had Miami and Washington undefeated. It's like, man, we, do we we have to split this thing? Colorado I think. had a loss against Andy <laughs> Kelly um, 
in in California in the Hollywood Bowl preseason bowl, hell of a game, great game, and uh, had a tie. Right, should have lost in Austin and did lose at Missouri. Yeah, Colorado was essentially a three loss team. That was one around there. You know, randomly when Cla- when classics lost in the Orange Bowl because it wasn't a fucking clip. <laughs> I knew that was coming, but they uh four losses, Jeff. Back when Classic Sports Network was a thing, don't this is how sick I am. One time I watched the 1990 Georgia Tech Virginia game in Charlottesville because or Georgia Tech Virginia game in Charlottesville because you thought was like a top quarterback Sean Moore and Herman Moore. Herman Moore, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I watched that thing like Ken Swilling was on that uh, that Georgia Tech defense. Um, that it wasn't like Miami and Washington. We got two undefeated teams. Like, dude, we have to split this. Like, some somebody deserves a full national title. Is not going to get one. That was like, we got to give this to somebody. I don't, I don't know who the hell. It was, it was so wild. I found a Washington Post article that Wilbon had actually written going into bowl season, where he he did a profile on Texas and was like, look, if Texas beats Miami in this Cotton Bowl and certain things happen, oh. Texas could have a claim to the national championship. We were talking about. It. And I uh, bottled a lot of college football and had seen them against my Irish, who they the Irish beat that year. Yeah. It didn't happen. I, mean, I was also 12, so I, I tried to buy in, but I've never walked into a game like this before, you know. And, the, the, uh, the team on the field also walked into the game like that. So. That's the problem. So then I ended up becoming friends with Brian Jones or Johnny Walker or hearing stories. And, heck, even one of the guys we dealt with a lot through Rosenhaus, um, Robert Bailey is one of his top agents. So I, I had to ask Robert. I'm like, and Robert is, it's so funny. Like the Miami impression of the guy who's like, you know, especially he's like telling Chris Samuels, I'm going to knock you out in, I'm going to knock you out on a kickoff. Yeah. Guys, you know, take out Carlos Huerta. Uh, all right. So we got 21. <laughs> all right. Like if you come down there and make the tackle mathematically, that's really impressive. Athletically yeah. it is. To go down there and tell them that as we're standing in the midfield and knock them out, you know, the, we talk about swag or motivation. And a lot of it's bullshit. That's straight up intimidation, calling your shot, and that does get into the opponent's head. Yeah, right away. Yeah, I've talked to. I don't think I don't think I've ever talked to Brian about it. I have talked to Johnny Walker about it, and he's admitted years later. He's like, we lost that game when Miami came out of the tunnel. Yeah. No, there were there were Texas guys apparently crying in the locker room at halftime. I'm not going to get into the names, but that is. But to get back to Bailey, the funny thing about Bailey, so Bailey is sounds like you know Barack Obama's younger cousin, <laughs> you know, like yeah. incredibly. Whatever you think of Barack is, I'm not getting political here. Yeah, He's a sharp guy and 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 you know, pretty impressive when you hear him speak, and and for any race or anything. And Bailey's that guy. Bailey is shit, man. He's on top of it. I thought you were the guy. Who not that Chris Samuel? <laughs> I thought you were like the biggest crip in the world. He's like, yeah, they all did. I was like, all right, well, stop listening to the media, I guess. <laughs> Katie, this was fun, man. We could do this for another few hours. But yeah, we could. We're still going to do, yeah. do our 1991 hour or two hour. We should do it for like every decade and kind of go through you and I being nuts and old men and um, and probably missing some stuff, but giving our opinion on it. Dude, we can just do the night the nineties in college football. That'll be we can wild. do well knowing us, we could just do every year in the nineties. 
Jones. You ever like come across like an old game day intro from like 2001 and watch it and you're like, this is back. This is back when it was great. <laughs> no, back, I, when game, back when game day was appointment television, kids. I try and stay open minded about everything. And I know that just with who I am, I was an old man. I had those qualities um, at 11. So I've always been trying to fight that. And, and also, I've got a lot of younger friends. I've got nephews and nieces that I, I want to be able to. And I also know that not everything was the best back then. Trust me. Yeah. But yeah, I, I try and fight that. But usually it's stuff like that where I go back and watch it and said, you know what? Screw all that. It was better back then. <laughs> Damn straight. All right, Katie. Everybody, thank you for uh, being a part of the chat. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, you can get us uh, on the uh, Texas Sports Unfiltered YouTube yep. page. Texas Thanks Sports for our sponsors, too, man. You, yes. you guys have made a, made a big difference here. 100%. Uh, especially shout out to AV Consultations. Thank you, Tom McKay and company. Yep. Uh, getting my home entertainment set up right and also last stand hats i'm not yeah. wearing it because i'm representing i'm wearing it because they're my favorite hats i've okay. actually got uh, i've got some old school last stand hats up here on the cabinet that uh, i'm nice. pretty sure discontinued styles but managed to get them a few I had an ex-girlfriend who took one that's as she didn't want me or my heart or my soul or anything she wanted a, hat. she wanted my hat it's how it's how good those last stand hats are katie yeah and yeah. kind of what i bring to the table both but you're right. <laughs> but uh brain vault covert b cave altstat top gun uh rentals and lawn equipment olipop last day hats like you mentioned katie uh we got woods relax the back 7-eleven uh syntax tickets.com thank you so much for sponsoring the show thanks everybody for watching and we'll be back at it again tomorrow bright and early 8 a.m with bucky and bk katie see you soon man always fun buddy bye guys thanks for watching see you